With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 36 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How are you guys doing? Another Sunday is here. So today, of course, every Sunday we bring you here at the network uh, a vault episode. And uh, what it is is an old player interview from my old website. Um, Before it crashed, I had 40-some interviews up there. And I always said I wanted to get those interviews back up online for people to, uh, to enjoy. So every Sunday or every Wednesday is new content here at the show. And then every Sunday is a vault episode. So, um, today's guest will be my interview that I did with Mike McWilliam, one of the baddest dudes to escape frozen water. Mike was a bad guy. Well, he was a good guy, but he was a bad dude when he was playing. Uh, but former Western Hockey League alumni, and then he went on to play in the American Hockey League, the IHL, the 1995 IHL Man of the Year. He's not going to say it, so I will. Um, won a Turner Cup championship in the IHL, and then uh, he went overseas to play a couple seasons with the Cardiff Devils. And I know he was—he's a, a big fan favorite over uh, in uh, in Europe. And uh, in this interview, we cover it all from uh, the from the Queens Park Arena for the for the always tough New Westminster Bruins. We talked those days, and like I said, all the way through his uh, pro career from the AHL and IHL. Um, St. John's to Utah, and then, uh, like I said, overseas. And uh, Mike was a great guest, and I always enjoy talking to Mike. And uh, he also played uh, six games with the New York Islanders, so he uh, he went in the record books. It was one of the very few to play in the NHL. And uh, like I said, Mike was a tough dude, and lots of fun. And we cover it all in this two-hour interview. And, uh, you know, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know how we do it. Timeline the players' careers, and, uh, yep, no stone is left unturned. So, um, no, I hope you guys will really enjoy the interview. And like I said, this is episode 36, so I hope you go back and check out the other episodes. Of course, on Wednesday, um, I had Drew Pelto on the show, and uh, it was really cool. It was a, it's a different look. Um, Drew's a former commentator for the Wichita Thaws Wildcats. 
Wichita Falls Wildcats, easy for you to say, um, of the North American uh, ho- uh, Hockey League, which w- is the oldest junior A league in the United States. And uh, Drew did it from 05 to 2012. And it was really cool. It was a different, uh, a different look on the on the game. And um, you know, I mean, we have obviously we have the players on. We've had fans on, so it was cool to finally get the first commentator on. And uh, and Drew has always been a pro fight guy. I've known him from the fight message board since back in the late '90s. And uh, you know, we always talked, and got along, and and um, it was funny. I, I don't know. I was talking to him, but his, his name popped up somewhere, and I was just like, oh, yeah, there's a guy I should get on the show. And Because, uh, like I said, with the North American Hockey League, it's a league I don't know much about, um, you know, being, you know, down in the States and stuff. And, um, you know, because, you know, up here, of course, the SJHL and Alberta League and BC and stuff. But, uh, yeah, not too much talk about the American Junior A system. So it was fun to get Drew on, and he threw some names at us and told us some of the broadcasting hijinks and everything else that goes along in the in the wacky world of junior a hockey and uh no it was a great it was a great conversation it's been really well received and um i hope you check it out as well as uh you know like i said my old player interviews uh you know we i've, I've interviewed oh man john morasti steve mcintyre joey tenarenko josh mazer chris graff clark Wilm, dan kopeck um on and on. So please uh, go back and, and scroll the back catalog, and uh, I'm sure you'll you'll hit a name that you know. And uh, and like I said, I, I like to really get with this show anyway. Or when I, my interview style is, uh, you know, really go in depth and timeline a player's career, and um, yeah, really get to know the guy. And um, you know, we don't uh, we don't gloss over anything or skip anything um so like i would say the interviews are, are definitely a little aren't, aren't a little 30 minute jobs that uh, other shows give it's like you know we're we're in depth and uh you know that's that's my style anyway so uh you know um you know you you really get to know the player but um no other than that and like i said wednesday every wednesday is uh is a new content uh show and then of course uh this sunday's a Sunday's the old uh, vault episode, so uh, always, always something happening here at the network. That's for sure. I mean, and uh, of course, the Hockey Podcast Network. It's myself, Terry Ryan, um, a, new, a couple analytics shows, and all thirty-one NHL teams represented. Um, so you know, the network is always hopping and busy, especially now with the playoffs and everything on. Um, you know, so. You should Dylan and the management boys are, are running around and uploading this and downloading that and uh, you know um, always uh, always something happening here at the network. Um, so uh, if you'd like and if you like myself or or the or the other content at the network, um, if you could support it, it would be great. And one of the ways you could support it is uh, buying a jersey. Now I know you guys are big hockey jersey fans, and uh, I got a good deal for you. Check this out. Um, coolhockey.com they've been around since 1999 they're NHLPA endorsed and um, yeah they have all the all the teams they have a vintage section um, and uh, and yeah and it's the real jerseys like the, the, the guys are actually wear on the ice and with the fight strap and the hand knitted numbers the whole deal or hand sewn numbers and uh, yeah you can go there um, you, you can put any name or number that you want on a jersey like I said if you want to get the Blackhawks and put double zero Griswold or you know whatever 
the New York, if you want to be like Joe Lazito and get a New York Islanders jersey and put uh, Sexton Hardcastle 69 on the back or Tom Wilson 43, feel free. You can do whatever you want. It's your jersey. But it'll be hand-sewn, legit, uh, like I said, fight strap. It's the, it's the jersey the dudes on the ice are actually wearing. And, uh, and upon checkout, if you use the promo code THPN, the Hockey Podcast Network, you get 30% off and free shipping, and it's out of Toronto. And uh, like I said, I went to the mall here, and I've been to Olympian Sports, and I went to Jersey City, and, this, and those authentic jerseys are th- with the numbers and everything, $300. We haven't even hit the tax part yet. 300 bucks tagged on the jersey. And, uh, and like I said, and you're at the mercy of the jersey that they have there. So, you know, of course, they have Price and Crosby and Eichel and uh, Matthews. But, you know, say, hey, sit, like I said, being serious, if you say you want a Detroit Red Wings jersey with Kalima on the back, well, these guys aren't going to do that. They're not going to, they don't have the customization for that, but cool hockey does. And um, I did a Brian McGratton, Calgary Flames third jersey, number 16. Hand, like I said, hand sewn numbers. The, the real deal came out to, with the promo code THPN, came out to one eighty five ninety nine Canadian free shipping. How can you beat it, folks? That's all after tax. That's half the price I've given you. What more can one man do for you? Do for you. So, like I said, at coolhockey.com, just go check out the website. Uh, they got lots of stuff on there from the stadium jersey, the third jerseys, on and on. And like I said, I know I know you Jersey cat, cats. You know, if you, you like the authentic stuff, you don't like the knockoff stuff. Well, there you go. There's the deal I can give for you. And like I said, and then uh, you know the the network gets a bit of a kickback, and the guys it helps them out host uh, all these shows, and and you know pays for their hard work. And like I said, we're you know they got to keep us uh, DJs in line. So any little bit helps. And uh, hopefully, you guys out there, like I said, it helps the network out. Keeps. Uh, Mike Goofy Ass and Terry Ryan and everybody on the air, as well, it gets you a jersey for 30% off. And you're you're buying the jersey anyway, so there you go. So please check it out, coolhockey.com. Be helping me out, be helping the network out. Alright, there, there, that's my ad read. My ad suggestion. There we go. But there we go. Um... Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I don't really have too much to say here in the in the intro. Um, it's it's amazing. I, I never have too much to say, but yet I get like fifteen minute intros. <laughs> but I do have a story to tell you. A quick story here, and then we'll get on with my interview with Mike because I mean that's what people have tuned in for. They didn't tune in to listen to me. But um, yeah, some wackiness here. I don't know. Is it the heat or something? Or or as summer's droned on here, people are getting wound up today at work. I saw three separate tilts. Well, I take that back. That's a lie. Or an exaggeration. I saw three different times people fixing to try to fight. Two of them were yapping at each other. And then the third one, they actually did get to swinging. And uh, uh, there was a lot of ducking, a lot of missing, and then a lot of swearing at each other. Uh, Well, I should say, they landed a couple. But, I mean, they're about as, you know... They're weaker than cat piss, the punches. But uh, I was I was saying to my brother, I texted him after. I said it's funny. I've I've worked the I've 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 been down and around. I'm in the I'm on the streets working for the last fifteen years. So I've seen a lot of shit, and uh, I'm always amazed at these at these cats, these street cats. 
They 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 throw their shirt because as soon as the fight's going to start, we got to rip our gear off. We got rips the shirt off, get into the stance, and they're swearing and everything else, and they're ready to rock and roll. And then when it actually comes, so they're really aggressive and everything, and they got the showmanship down. And they're I don't know if they're hoping to talk the other guy out of it, but uh, as, but then as soon as they start throwing punches, it seriously looks like a couple ten year olds on the playground. And it always amazes me for for these super aggressive dudes that act all hard. The moment they start throwing punches, it's like you couldn't break egg, break a you know break eggs with their punches. So I'm always surprised, you know, because you think these dudes are going to be like you know we're going to see Hagler Hearns here the way they're talking, but no, you know. But uh, anyway. No, so I don't know. It was just goofy today. I don't know if it was Friday and, uh, you know, we're having Friday fights or what was going on. But, get this one. So, this is what I had to deal with in the morning. Uh, I can't remember what day it was. At some point, this I believe it was Tuesday morning. Um, so, I start work super early. So, it's it's 5.30, just a little before 5.30. I'm, I'm leaving here and just, we roll down the block and at the end, there's a 7-Eleven. I go there almost every morning, pick up, you know, my... Uh, my Rockstar Energy drinks, and, uh, you know, perhaps a, a Cliff Bar or some sort of, uh, you know, or a muffin or whatever. You know, we got to get the day breakfast of champions, right? So I roll in there, and, of course, I roll into the parking lot. It's 5.30 in the morning. There's no one around. Get out of the car. I'm walking up to the door, and I can hear yelling. And one of the guys that works there, I mean, he, you know, he works most of the morning. He's a young kid, and he's loud anyway. He's always been very polite to me, but I always think in my head, I couldn't work with, this guy'd be super annoying to work with. But, he's working the night, working the night shift at the 7-Eleven, you know, I think it's, it's 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., I believe he told me. But I could, he's always loud. So I can hear him yelling. And then when I walk into the store, he's yelling at the guy behind the till. And they're obviously having a disagreement. I'm minding my own, but I walk in, they both kind of stop yelling, look at me, hey man, how's it going? Because, you know, like I said, I'm in there almost every morning. Oh, good guys, yeah, hey, how's it going? Yeah, 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 whatever. Well, the guy, young kid, he's at the back by the coolers with a mop doing the floor. And that's where I'm back there grabbing my energy drinks. Well, he's still yelling at the guy working the counter. And at this point, I've never seen the young guy working the counter before. Like I said, it's a night shift, they're constantly rotating dudes. But this young kid is usually always there. But I didn't know who this new this other guy was. Well, now I've gathered that, uh, okay, obviously they're arguing. Because he starts yelling, I know what you've been saying about me. The other people have been saying, and he throws out a few names. They told me you were saying this and that, and they're swearing back and forth. And, and I'm just kind of like, uh-huh, I'm minding my own business. I'm going up the aisle, grabbing my energy bar, got my drinks. Well, I have to walk past the guy, the, the, the yeller there with his mop. And, uh, you know, I go up the aisle, grab my energy bar. Well, at this point, now it's gotten, you know, now it's F-U, F-U, oh, we're going to fight, and oh, blah, blah, blah. And so one guy comes from behind the till, and he, I never said nothing about you, screw you, blah, blah, blah. And they're yelling, and then this guy drops the mop and comes storming up the aisle. Now, see, the problem is, is I'm in between them at this point. And these guys are start, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, let's go, yeah, you got a problem, blah, blah, blah. And now, so now I gotta, I gotta friggin' act like bloody Swede Knox here, the linesman. 5.30 in the morning, and I gotta break up fights between 7-Eleven employees? Are you kidding me? And I'm just, hey, whoa, whoa, and I'm, 
And now they're on either side of me. We're not social distancing, which was irritating me because the one guy's spitting all over me as he's yelling. And I'm just, now at this point, I'm kind of like, what? Part of me is amused, but the other part of me is like, what? What are we doing here? You know? And I kind of laugh because I didn't go all Kevin Collins and grab one guy. No, I just sort of put my arms up. And like I said, these two were about the size of twelve-year-olds. I mean, I could have banged their heads together. I mean, I'm sure combined weight, they might weigh as much as I do. So I, I wasn't fearing for my safety of uh, you know getting in between two pit bulls here. You know, it was more like two labradoodles. But I'm just like, hey, stop! You know, enough, you guys. Like, calm down. Let's just all. Settle in a little bit I don't even remember what I said But I got my hands up towards either of them But I can guarantee you I wasn't putting any pressure It's funny, I'm actually Nobody can see me on video I'm actually doing the, the, the actions that I was doing With my hands here But let, put it this way uh, As much as it was for show That they were barking and ready to Acting like they were ready to throw down I, w- I didn't have to hold any either of them back So What's the old Southern saying that Cornette likes to use? One was scared and the other was glad of it. Yeah, it was pretty much the way it w- the way it was. So I'm just like, stop! Enough of this. Just one of you go behind the till and ring this up because I got to go to work. The other one, you go to the back and settle down. You know, enough of the bullshit. Stop! It's five thirty in the morning. Nobody needs this shit. So yeah, so he goes back and he grabs his. Broom and the other guy goes and he rings up my stuff and I'm like okay well hopefully but oh no sorry you had to hear that blah say blah 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 I'm like hey not a problem I get it no big deal you know we all get mad at each other and uh of as I believe it oh it's screwy I, I hey man thanks for always coming you're always super cool to me uh, but you're not gonna see me around here because I don't work with assholes anymore ah! and then he slams the door and off into the back office he goes and oh boy. So there we go. There, there wasn't much of a story, but like I said, here that's what we're dealing with here in, in the heat of August in Saskatchewan. We're breaking up 7-Eleven employee fights, and I didn't want to say I was breaking it up. I, I happened to be the barrier in the middle that uh, stopped them from getting closer and yelling at each other. You know, but uh, yeah, so we got that. And fist fights down in the hood, and I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. There was a couple of dudes, though. If if Talkin was fighting, they'd be the heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, so, oh, crazy. But there we go. I've, I've 16 minutes in. I bored. I bored all the listeners who actually tuned in to to get to the Mike McWilliam interview. Should I? I should start. Should I start time stamping my stuff so it's like so I don't have to listen to you. I just want to hear Mike. Um, so I'll shut up and we'll get going here. But uh, there we go. I dubbed the ad read. I've uh, bored you with some stories. Let's get into the interview. Um, Mike is a great guy. Hockey Circles on Facebook. Check it out. Um, Mike, and Mike does his own. He's done a few uh, episodes of YouTube interviews. Um, I know he's had Bob Nystrom on there. I know he had the late Jack McLarge on there. So that was pretty cool. Mike does, uh, you know, I wish they were longer because he does a very good job. Um, other than that, uh, Check out Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. I have over 2,000 fight videos on there, um, from junior to pro. Uh, everything's catalog. Everything's uh, cataloged. Type in whatever league you're looking for. Boom, it'll come up. Also, Fourth Line Voice on Twitter. Like I said, the other check out the other shows in the network as well as my boy Alec over at Five for Fighting. He finally figured out his audio issues. I know he battled. Got his Curtis Tidbull interview up. Definitely check that out. Bobby Longgrass over at the Bucket Drop Podcast and. Uh, 
Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles. Um, he also did an interview with Mike McWilliam, and uh, Joe does a great job. And uh, yeah, there we go. Kept it under 20 minutes. There we go. And uh, also, I was just uh, hopefully on Wednesday here coming up. I'll have a new I'll have a new guest for you. Well, I'll have something for you. I've done part one interview with a, with a cat. And uh, I won't I won't reveal who it was, but the first two hours were highly entertaining. So, and we're, we're only halfway through his career, so uh, I can imagine what the second half will bring, uh, which was which uh, is partially in the UK and then in the LNAH. So, plenty of craziness to to talk about. So I'm looking forward to. Here's my conversation with Mike McWilliam. Thanks, guys. All right, on the phone here on the fourth line voice uh, is a man who. Uh, Started at the Queen's Park Arena, ended up in uh, New York City, and then finished her off in Cardiff, and he brought the uh, he brought the anarchy to the UK. On the phone is none other than Mike McWilliam. Michael, thank you for taking my phone call tonight. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you. Well, like I said, just uh, before we got going, we're going to, like I tell all the guys, we're going to kind of just uh, timeline your career, and, uh, and we'll uh, kind of... You know, go go to each uh, part of each team and uh, talk about opponents and coaches and teammates, and uh, we'll we'll see where the conversation takes us. Works for me. Well, in in uh, so in investigating here, I was uh, from what I gather in 19, from eighty in eighty four eighty five uh, in the BC Junior League, you played for the uh, Langley Eagles. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. I- played a few games for them i actually started the year in camps with the blazers and okay. uh, got got hurt early on and then was traded to new west later in the year and uh played some games for for langley which was their farm team as well so yeah kind of a couple different teams that year bouncing around okay that was like as a 17 year old all right and then uh and then, of course, as the 18 was your first full season in the western hockey league with the new west with the infamous new westminster bruins <laughs> And uh, we're right off the go. We're gonna we got to talk about the coaches. We got Patty Goodell and Ernie Punch McLean. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are two kind of legendary figures. Um, it was a rough season in New West that year. Um, but what were the what was like playing for those two? Well, it was like you said. It was it was pretty interesting. There were two pretty big characters in the game. Um, Patty was there for the first couple months, and and uh, actually, funny, funnily enough, he actually cut me, um, and then got got uh, fired a couple days later. And and Ernie came in and ended up bringing me back. So if it wasn't for Punch, I'd probably be you know doing other work so it was uh it was pretty interesting playing for those two guys with their their history and obviously you know punch was a legend in in the western part of the western league with you know the bruins and the old winterhawks brawls back in the day and stuff so yeah it was pretty surreal to to be playing for both of those guys who were you know really in that mid to late 70s heyday were really uh kind of the the most well-known coaches i would think in the league pretty much yeah well and then like you said with the new west uh well first of all for you being a bc kid that's gonna be pretty cool you're playing in the western league and you're not really that far from home yeah yeah to grew up in burnaby and and played all my minor hockey in burnaby and then like i said went to Kamloops for a little bit so being in new west you know being close to home and everything was pretty cool um 
the team, you know, up and down, but we had, had a good group of guys and, you know, obviously every team back then was, was fairly physical. So we had a lot of guys in new West that, that, um, definitely it was, they were entertaining games, I guess, at Queens Park was the best thing you could say. Yeah. Well, that they were, I mean, uh, yeah. So your first season, you get played 52 games, uh, 98, 98, uh, PIMS, 16, 16 tilts. So you, you jumped right in. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, we're just kind of going to go over and, uh, and like you said, back then in the Western league, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was the Wild West. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then it's like uh, I'm just looking at kind of the kind of some of the guys: you Brad Miller, Kelly Chase, Duncan McPherson, Greg Batters, Rod Williams. These are all uh, all uh, guys you, you you went after here in the in the first uh, in your first season in the league. Um, were you were you kind of com- like comfortable with the fighting? Like, uh, how long did it, well, I'll put it this way. How long did it take you to get comfortable or did you ever get comfortable with fighting? Uh, you know, that's a great question. Um, I'd say yes and no. Um, I wasn't, wasn't really expecting to, to have that role going into junior, you know, all through minor hockey, you kind of, it's not exactly what your, your uh, goal is in, in terms of your career, but um, back then, if you were going to play uh, in the Western League, then pretty much that was that was definitely part of it. And you know, being a tall kid, then you guys are guys are going to come after you and stuff. So it was uh, it was kind of sink or swim, and uh, just you, you just tried to make it through every game, do your best. If you had to had to go with somebody, it was always you know there was no shortage of, of dance partners in the league back then. Each each team had you know three, four, five guys that uh, you know <clears throat> that were were willing to go with anybody. So yeah, it was it was uh, pretty much get at it right away. And and if that wasn't what you were prepared to do, then you'd, you'd, they'd bring in someone else that would. So that was kind of your option back then. Yeah. But yeah, well, I guess no option, right? That was just the way it was. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so uh, yeah, just kind of like you said, going through your team, like you said, you guys were you guys were deep. I mean, you know, you had the uh, you know led probably by the uh, by the late Todd Ewan. Um, give us yeah. some story. Give us some stories of Todd. What were your first impressions of him? Because uh, he was a 19 year old in your first year. Uh, you know, he had 28 goals, 21 fights. I mean, he was a big part of that team. Um, what was Todd like? He was just one of those kind of, you know, natural born leaders, I guess you you could kind of say he was sort of a quiet, quiet leader on the team. He obviously was a really skilled player. A lot of, you know, a lot of guys that got put into that role were, were really skilled guys that could play the game. You look at, you know, Todd and guys like John Cordick and, and guys like that that were really pretty amazing players you know coming up into junior and um todd you know he was uh i'm trying to think who else was on that team there was you know dino was on that team yeah well younger uh, brother and yeah like the younger brother dean ewan then you had alan may uh brent mazer and jerry johansson i think darren kimball was there for a while yes he was was there darwin mcpherson larry de palma yeah it was kind of uh, there was uh it was a good group of guys but yeah Todd was you know he was a skilled guy he was an amazing skater probably the best best skater on the team and 
you know, he, he was always there to answer the bell. He, you know, fought anybody any night, but he'd also, you know, play on the, on the first line with, you know, whoever on the power play. He was, uh, he was just a go-to guy out there for pretty much, you know, anything you wanted him to do, he was able to do. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and like you said, and then like, so, like you were just saying throughout the league, some of the top guys in the league, I mean, yeah, you, you know, Jim Agnew, Mick Fakoda, of course, yeah. the, the bomber out in PA, uh, like we said earlier, well, you fought him earlier, Kelly Chase, uh, you know, Craig Berube. I mean, it's, it's, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Yeah. You could pretty much pick any team, you know, going into Saskatoon. They had, you know, Tony and, and Kevin Kaminsky, Kelly Chase, Kerry Clark, Dave Marcinish, and, you know, PA at Bomber and Manson and Dalm and, you know, every team. Jimmy Agnew, I played with him. Uh, my first year pro in, in the minors in Milwaukee and just an awesome dude. But man was, you know, he, he was underrated as a tough guy. He's yep. one of the only guys I saw that really kind of, um, well, I don't want to say gave it to him, but kind of gave it to Domi a couple of times when, when he was in Winnipeg there. Yep. Um, Aggie was just a really, really tough dude. And, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of guys. So you could just, you could talk about guys all night just going through each team, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, Magnus, speaking of him, yeah, and, and Domi. Interestingly enough, one of those fights was actually, uh, was a, a neutral site game here in Saskatoon. And I was at that game. Oh, really? And Agnew, <laughs> Agnew was with Hartford. And him and Domi yep. played, and they, they came out of the penalty box. They had matching roughings or whatever. And uh, they came out of the penalty box, and, and of course we were all pumped because we were like, "Oh, he tied Omi. Here we go!" And uh, oh yeah, Agnew uh, pumped him pretty good that night. Actually, we were like, "Holy shit!" You know. But yeah, like you said, Agnew underrated. Yeah, yeah, he surprised a lot of guys. He both hands really quick, and yeah, just, he, he didn't he didn't lose many. Um, you know, there were guys that were bigger than him. He was only about you know six one or whatever, but pound for pound, he was he was one tough dude. Yes, he was. Yeah, actually, I think he's a. I, I read somewhere. I think he's a sheriff in like Montana now or something. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think like, he was a uh, fire department or sheriff or something like that. So yeah, if I remember right, I remember seeing an article a few years ago. Yeah. Um, well, well, then I have to ask you. Of course, with, with New Westminster comes the legendary. <laughs> I've only, and I was never there, unfortunately, uh, but I saw it. On, I've seen it on video. Was the the just the Queens Park Arena? What, yeah. was, what was that yeah. atmosphere like? Like that had to be a gong show. You know what? I'm I'm glad that I I played there for the home team because even coming into that rink on a Sunday night, it was always dark and rainy and dismal and just you know, you'd hear stories of guys coming in on other teams, guys would pull a groin getting off the bus. Just it, it was just yeah. not a fun place to come in and play. So. It was, uh, you know, just from the heyday of the 70s. And, and, you know, I went to some games when I was still playing minor hockey when New West was in the playoffs against Portland. And Cam Neely and Sean Green had a, a great tilt. And, you know, just it was just an amazing place to play. Just a, a tiny little barn. And the, the fans were fans were unbelievable there. There was a guy named Andrew that they called the Chicken Man. And he had a uh, a chicken on a on a basically a fishing fishing pole with a line, and he'd throw it over. And new linesmen every game that didn't know the drill would go over to pick it up and yank it away. And and <laughs> there was just so many so many characters in that rink that it was it was a really cool place to play. 
Oh yeah, I saw the one, the one video. It's like I, I think Fakoda fights somebody in New West. He's sitting in the penalty box and he's screaming with the fans and they're yelling back at him. And oh yeah, I think it was like a bunch of bikers Ooh, or Nick. something. Nick would never do that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, what was your what were your uh, impressions of playing against? Like, you, you played him quite a bit. What was it like playing against Fakoda? Uh, he was he was the same, you know, when he his last year pro as he was in his his first game. I saw him in junior played the same way. Never never changed the way he played. Never took a night off, and you know he was just a guy you always had to be aware of. He he was always there to take care of business if if you know need be or whatever. So Mickey was a serious serious dude on the ice, and you know. Uh, saw him you know gator i remember gator's first fight i think in the league was against mick and if you could get get past mick without you know getting getting ripped apart then you're usually pretty happy to uh, happy to get through that one for your first fight so yeah he was a bit of a legend and obviously uh ask anybody that played with him what a great teammate he was and you know i think you'll get stories all day long yeah, well, I mean, like you said, legendary, you know, played on the island forever, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, and, yeah, Saskatoon boy, yeah, and, uh, yeah, he did it for a long time. Um, yeah. Well, and, well, before we get out to the to the next year, I was going to ask you, um, you know, just kind of, we'll just uh, get away from the, the fighting for a sec, but I noticed uh, in Langley, as well as in New West, you were teammates with future Hall of Famer Mark Recchi. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot that that record was in Langley there as well. But yeah, he uh, played with him in New West, and you know, just one of the hardest working guys you'd, you'll ever play with. Um, you know what he went on to do offensively and stuff was, you know, a little bit of a surprise just because you know he wasn't a hundred or hundred and twenty point guy in junior like like some of the guys were at least when I was playing with him. But um, yeah, just guys like guys like him when you, when you see what he accomplished with his career and and how hard he worked every single game it's not really surprising he was uh he was a real dedicated dedicated guy on and off the ice as far as i know so yeah well uh, yeah and uh, what a career and i, I was noticing yeah. as i was kind of just scrolling through and and just looking through your the timeline who you played against a guy out in Kamloops that actually the the year you were in the league he set the which still stands and probably will forever stand the way things are going um the whl point record was rob brown and anybody listening oh, yeah. yes that rob brown that played in pittsburgh um, the first yeah. year he had 173 points and then the next year he had 212, which is still a league record. Yeah. What was it like playing against Brownie? Well, I mean, I didn't really worry too much cause I wasn't really usually out there against him. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, he was, uh, I, I wasn't exactly a, a you... third line checker at that time. So I didn't, uh, didn't get out against him much, but you know, guys like that just, they could just control the game, you know, uh, same with, with uh, even guys like you know Glenn Goodall in in Seattle, he was just a, a smaller guy. I think he started playing in the league at fourteen or fifteen, but you know, just very very talented, very smart player. You know, real cerebral player, just always in the right spot. And um, if if you watched uh, Brownie, because I, I was in Kamloops with him there before I got traded to New West, yeah. and you know, if you if you watched him in practice or something, I don't think you'd expect that he was going to be a 200 point player he wasn't you know wasn't a speedster wasn't 
you know, overly flashy, but when he got the puck or just got himself into the right spots all the time, uh, if he had an opportunity, you buried it or could set somebody up without even looking. He's just one of those, you know, one of those special players. Yeah. Some guys, right. They just, they just got the gift, but um, yeah. now, but even on, on that note, just before I forget, cause I actually looked up to see if, uh, cause I knew I played with Robin Bauer as well. Cause I, play, I played against him in the minors, obviously, but I think it was 86 or 87. I think that was the year that Brownie got all the points, but Robin, you know, tough guy, he had 115 points that year. I think he had almost 60 goals. So, you know, it gives you an idea of, of how good some of these guys were as players that, you know, Robin obviously went on to to establish himself mostly in his career, at least in the NHL as, as you know, a tough guy. But anybody that can put up over 100 points in the Western Hockey League is a, a pretty damn good player. So, Absolutely. Yeah, no, you look back at those old stats and it's like, and like you said, it's, uh, you know, guys just, you know, when they turn pro or whatever, I mean, you know, it was just a different role and different time. But, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, people, if they went back and be surprised, I mean, you know, like you say, you know, Darren Kimball at 30 goals, Baruby at 30 goals, John Cordick was an all-star. I mean, you know, and you, yeah. you know, you tell NHL fans that and they're, you know, what, you know, because they're just thinking, you know, fourth line, 10 minute guys, right? Right. But no, the, yep. uh, no, sure. ab- absolutely. And, uh. Well, so after that year, um, <clears throat> now I we had talked on the phone earlier, and uh, obviously it was not listed here. But did you, you went to Philadelphia Flyer camp? Is that correct? Yeah, I actually had, had I'd signed as a free agent. I went to went to camp with them. I think, yeah, I guess I was in New West at the time. I went to camp and ended up signing a, a, a contract with them. But that was my first two training camps was in in Philly. So. Well, mid eighty Philly. I mean, that, there you go. I mean, you're, you're again. You're stepping into the jungle. You got Dave Brown and Talkit and all those guys, Daryl Stanley and guys like that. What were those camps like? Yeah. Um, well, the, the first year uh, I wasn't out there a ton because I had had some issues going on with my shoulders, which you know seemed to be a, a, a chronic thing throughout my career, unfortunately, but. Um, I remember, I think it was the first year that uh, uh, Steve Martinson was there. I think, I can't remember if you and I talked about this, yes. but he uh, he was there amongst, you know, a lot of other guys. But, of course, Brownie was Brownie was the top dog, and, and Marty went out. I watched him, I think it was twice, maybe three times he went out and, and fought him. Um, and, you know, Brownie did what Brownie does, and, established that that he was still the top dog pretty clearly um but the funny thing about that was is that you know again when you go back to you know guys being able to play and stuff that would surprise fans and you know i know it was only training camp but the guy that was the leading scorer in training camp was brownie and uh you know yeah okay guys wouldn't touch him obviously but you still had to be able to hey, you still got to put it against in. guys that were were pretty good so uh yeah he you know again you pick your poison with with that you know with those guys and then once they got into exhibition you know rangers islanders flyers you know all those guys rookie games that uh you know it, if you talk to Dean Ewan, you know, the Islanders rookie games that they used to play against the Rangers and stuff, it was just, uh, it, it was a jungle, that's for sure. Yeah. So when it was like, Keenan was the coach, wasn't he, when you were there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, what, was, what was Iron like Mike I said, like? I wasn't. 
Um, I didn't really have any, you know, direct conversations or anything with him, but, uh, I think he had his, his nickname was, was appropriate. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to touch too much on it, but the guys, uh, um, he, he had the iron name for a reason. I, the, the one story that I can tell you that, that I thought was pretty funny was, I can't remember where they were playing, but they were on the road the year before and, I guess they were down and and Mike had come in in between periods and I guess his usual thing was he'd he'd come in and and sort of rant and throw some sticks and occasionally kick the Gatorade uh, container. So um, I guess the guys kind of caught on to it and somebody had filled up the Gatorade container with ice and so when he went to kick it, it didn't move. And, uh, next day he was up in, up in the stands with a cast on his foot from what I heard. So it was, uh, the guy's got a, a little bit of payback on that, I think. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I, yeah, like I said, we won't go too much, but yeah, I've heard some stories as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so then, the, so you go back 86, 87, what a year this is for you. Uh, you, we, you go from, uh, you know, outhouse to penthouse, right? Um, so you you start New West with, with in the forty games you get twenty points one hundred thirty four pims again sixteen tilts, um, and then right at the deadline you get traded to the first place team in the league the Medicine Hat Tigers. Yep. And then from there, yep. of course, you go on to the Memorial Cup, and you win it. Yeah, it was it was pretty surreal. I, there was myself and I think uh, two or three other guys that got traded to the hat uh, at the deadline. Myself and Roddy Williams and and uh, I think Jamie Hushcroft. And uh, when I got traded there, actually, I was out of the lineup. I dislocated my shoulder fighting uh, Jamie Hushcroft. Funnily enough, um, a few weeks earlier. So uh, when I got there, I missed missed the first couple weeks, but. Um, you know, the, that team was, was a pretty amazing team, you know, guys like Shady Brady and Mark Peterson, Dale Kushner and, and, you know, just, uh, to go through playoffs and watch, watch what some, you know, it was Trevor's first year there, obviously won the, the two cups and Robbie DeMaio and, um, just to go through playoffs with, with that group and see those, you know, see those guys compete. Uh, on on a level that was as good as I'd seen in junior hockey, obviously, and uh, yeah, to go through and and get get to the cup and then actually, you know, see those guys pull it off in Oshawa was was pretty cool. So yeah, the um, like you said with the uh, well before we get uh, we'll get I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but with your new West when you start the year new West, like I said, you played the forty games. Um, yeah. You know, some of your teammates, again, McPherson, uh, Darren Schwartz, Scott Daniels. Yeah, Schwartz, yeah. 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 And then, of course, the infamous, uh, you played with a rookie at that time, and you've referred to him a few times as Gator, uh, who we're talking about as Link Gates. And, of course, yeah. everyone, everyone's heard the stories of Link and everything else that we, you know, I'm sure you have stories. Of, I mean, those don't. You know, we don't need to. We're not going to bury them here. I mean, everybody's heard the stories. But what were no, your uh, impressions no. of a of a 17 year old Link Gates? Uh, to be honest, it, Gator was pretty quiet kid back then. Um, you know, he, he. I don't think he really, you know, wanted to be a fighter, and it, not that a lot of guys do, but. 
um, you know, once once he sort of had had a couple couple goes, and obviously everyone figured out that he was pretty good at it. Um, he obviously kind of ramped it up from there, but you know, he was just just a, a big quiet 17 year old kid that was you know trying to fit in and and uh you know i don't think you would have expected with with the amount of guys in the league at that time that were you know sort of already big name guys i don't know that you would have picked gator out of the out of the the pile at that point to say oh that guy's going to be you know top five tough guys in the nhl and top five top 10 defensemen at the same time before his brain injury right but um yeah he was he was uh, something to behold when when the gloves came off. Uh, he was he was a uh, pretty efficient businessman. Well, and that and that's the thing. And you like you touched on it. And I I, I think it often gets overlooked because the stories and old oh, crazy link. But he was a really good player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember watching. You know, when I was I think I was in the eye at the time or wherever I was and. You know, watching a few games on on uh, on TV when he was in San Jose, and I mean, he was he was a scary good defenseman. You know, he yep. incredibly athletic, and you know, whatever. And then you top that off with arguably on any night could beat anybody in the NHL and in a scrap. Uh, you know, he was he was pretty pretty complete player, and you know, it was really unfortunate with the accident, the, the car accident, and. Um, you know, I don't think he, he ever fully recovered from that, obviously. And that was kind of the, the down, downslide of his career. But yeah, he was, he was a total package out there. He, he was, you know, like same as a guy like Proby where he could, you know, he could play, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night and scare the crap out of pretty much anybody. So he was, uh, he was a force out there. Yes, he was. Yeah, I know, and it's a shame about the car accident. Like, I've always told like, we on Twitter and everything, we'd yammer, and it was like, you know, I always said that, like, that dude should have had, a like, a fucking 15-year NHL career, man. That was, the, he was the next yeah. Probert. I mean, you know, but a yeah. defenseman, right? And it was just like, he was that yeah. good, and, and I think, and it gets lost on people because of, you know, all the other things. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's a shame because he, he was something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, just kind of going through your list of, uh, uh, some of your tilts. I mean, you, you fought. We talked about Fakoda, another guy that uh, was a big dude, and uh, you know tore up the Western Hockey League and went on to the NHL. Of course, um, was Rudy Poshek. You had a you had a battle. With oh him. yeah. How how were your battles with Rudy go? Uh, well, I only I think I only fought him the once. I actually, again, he was in Kamloops when yep. I was there. We actually uh, got along pretty good. Um, it was him and Mark Pichowski were sort of the two you know, real tough guys for Kamloops uh, when I started there. And, you know, Rudy was just another guy that, you know, just any, any night, you know, you go back and watch some of the YouTube fights, you know, him and Bomber and, and stuff like that. And just knew his role and was incredibly good at it. And, uh, you know, I think I, I fought him the once in, in Kamloops there and, you know, it was, uh, came out of it okay so i was pretty happy with that but uh yeah rudy went on to to really make his mark and and again you know you ask any of his teammates that that uh, were able to go out and do their job without having to worry about someone running around because they knew rudy was was uh, you know either out there or sitting on the bench he he made a big difference to a lot of teams yep 
Well, and another guy um, that you had a few run-ins with, and was out in Portland, and and one of these one of the kind of these uh, the WHL guys that uh, you know he never went on to play pro or anything, but I mean, uh, in that time, there's guys that have ju- that just kind of you know kick around junior, and then you know after it's said and done, they get on with life. But uh, uh, was Jay Stark? Yeah, I've noticed he had a few oh, yeah, run-ins yeah. with him. He had a lot of tilt. What was Jay like? Yeah, I, you know, I I didn't really, you know, I never met him off the ice or anything like that. And to be honest, the first first time I fought him, I I didn't even you know really know that much about him. So it was just kind of one of those spontaneous things. But um, it was it was pretty interesting because I, I caught him with a couple early on, and then it was kind of he was kind of hanging on a little bit. And I thought, okay, that's that's sort of it. And he started throwing again, so I thought, okay, well throw some more well he caught me with a couple really nice ones and and woke me up pretty good and i ended up got got a couple in at the end and and i think cut him open but he was uh i had no idea that he was apparently you know an incredibly strong guy just sort of huge huge upper body and stuff and and uh you know stuff like that you just you don't know and then you see a guy afterwards or you, you hear stories about him afterwards and you're like oh, okay well that kind of explains it then you know yeah. he was uh he was another another game guy and and uh yeah he he'd surprise you if you if you weren't if you weren't ready that's for sure yeah and anybody listed go to uh, youtube mike william versus jay stark the, the your first fight is on there i don't want to say who's whose youtube page it's on but i think i might have uploaded it but uh and it's, and it's a good tilt folks check it out um I think that was back in the uh, back in the Cooper all days too. So I, you know. Oh, yes. are you reading my notes? Are you in my pocket? <laughs> no. That was going to be my last no, question I... before we moved away from the Western Hockey League. I was going to say, do you still own the Cooper Alls? <laughs> no, no. What, what did you think of the the Cooper Alls? Uh, I, I don't know of anybody that liked them. Put it that way. No, it was uh, they were pretty tragic. But yeah. I know for like really young, cause we all had them like as little kids, right? Cause the parents, I mean, everything was already in them. So it was just like put on the pants and go. I mean, it was probably a parent's dream, but I mean, and we yeah. were young and goofy and falling all over. It didn't matter, you know, whatever. We were just little kids, but I mean, for yeah. guys like you, know, like junior guys and the hell, I think the Flyers and the, who was it? The Hartford Whalers, oh, yeah. I think they Flyers wore them too. Them, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. oh, you guys had to be just hating things. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and if I remember correctly, like the ones that we had were just a shell. Like you had sort of a a hockey pant without a pant that you'd put on, and then your shin pads not, and then you just had the Cooperall shell that went over top, just a real thin thin stuff, right? And that stuff, especially your your lower legs and that, it wasn't like a you know like a regular hockey sock that it at least had a little bit of thickness to it, so you were always getting skate cuts and, and stick cuts because it was just a super, super thin, like, I don't even know what it was, like a plastic almost. Oh, it's like it wearing just... crazy carpets. Yeah, yeah. So if no, you hit I was the ice, you just slid, right? What's that? If you hit the ice, you just slid on them. Like, there was no... Yeah, it was like you were yeah, on a crazy carpet. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like super slider snow skates that you wore on your legs. Yeah, yeah. No, it's always funny whenever I upload the uh, the old Western Hockey League clips, and I'll post them on Twitter, and everybody right away, 
And it was funny, I can't remember who it was, some guy from the UK or whatever goes, what's with everyone wearing slacks? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a very good question. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's a question that I, I'd like, like to meet the person that came up with that idea, but uh, it's like new yeah. Coke. Yeah. We're going to straighten that guy out. Um, well, before we move on, the one, one of the fights I have to ask, of course, is when you got traded to Medicine Hat, you fought the, the legendary twister, Tony Twist. Do you have any memories of that? I, I do. And again, that was, uh, I think, well, probably two or three weeks after I got traded there. And uh, I was supposed to be wearing um, this sort of restraint thing on my on my left arm to keep my left shoulder from dislocating. But I, I couldn't wear that because Rich Pilon had, had uh, hit me while I was against the boards a, a week or two earlier and separated my right shoulder. So I couldn't actually lift my right shoulder up above parallel or the bones would kind of, I don't know, they'd kind of slip and my arm would drop. So it wasn't really much of a fight against Twister, to be honest. It was, uh, I think we were behind the net and probably through, you know, each through a couple little punches. I, I think I probably tried to get a good grip on Tony's right arm because, you know, it's hard to fight guys when your arms are falling off. So, yeah. um, I think that, <clears throat> that one was, uh, was more just trying to survive. It wasn't, it wasn't really that much of a, a fight. I fought him again in, in, in the eye my first year. And that was, you know, there's a few more punches thrown in that one, but, uh, yeah, that first one wasn't really much of anything. Well, when, uh, well, and of course his, his power is legendary and everything. And they appear yeah. here from everybody. Yeah. Just as I'm thinking about it, as I'm sitting here, in all in all your fights, uh, you know, between that and the NHL and the eye and stuff, I mean, you had over a hundred and hundred and some tilts, hundred and thirty some. Um, was there? I mean, obviously, there's probably more than just once, but was there like ever a guy that like afterwards you're sitting in the penalty box and you're like, ah, that sucked. I don't want to do that again. Like, just hit you and just vibrated your whole body. Yeah, I mean, and and there was you know there's guys that that again you know guys that most people might not have you know they weren't everyday names or they yep. played in the minors for a while i think one of the hardest hardest punches i ever remember getting hit by was um a guy named tom pratt and i fought him uh when i was in with vancouver with the canucks we were playing la uh in rookie games and i fought tom and i'd done a lot of boxing that summer so i was you know i thought i was thought i was the shit and uh threw a nice little you know nice little left jab just and he just walked in and cranked me with a right hand and it knocked me all i remember is i i remember hearing all the the audience kind of this big you know and yeah. my helmet went flying off knocked me about four feet back and kind of regained my composure and came back in and and you know I had a, had a good tilt, but when I got back into the dressing room, it was like somebody had taken a meat tenderizer and hit me in the cheek. It, it didn't have a cut. It was just my whole cheek was just shredded. And uh, I'm like, who the hell was that guy? And he was, uh, you know, just a guy that played college or whatever. Well, I ended up playing with him in the minors as well, and I saw him knock two or three guys out that, you know, tough guys that didn't expect it. And another guy that that was like that, that I, you know, I, I played with him in St. John's was Todd Hawkins. Um, you know, not a huge guy, but some guys could just, just throw a punch that, 
you know, <laughs> if they caught you, you know, there's always guys like Twister where if they, they connect, they're going to break something in your face. But uh, there's guys that you wouldn't expect it from that you kind of, you're not as careful with. And, and yeah. yeah, that'll that'll wake you up in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and you, you mentioned boxing. How much boxing did you do? Was that was that a regular summer thing for you or? Yeah, pretty much um, between boxing and then as I got older, um, you know, in the summers, myself and Todd Ewan and Dean Ewan, we all worked in the, in the clubs as, as doormen in New West and stuff. So I got to know a lot of guys that were, um, you know, kickboxers and stuff. So I'd do a little bit of that. I'd try and stay away from the, the leg kicks and stuff. Obviously, you don't want to you know, blow your knee out, but a lot of boxing and and kickboxing in the summer just if no for no other reason that it was great for your cardio but obviously back then you kind of anything you could do to to be a little bit better fighter than it was always advisable and i just kind of i always enjoyed it and enjoyed sort of the whole martial arts scene and uh so yeah i did a fair amount of that in the summers usually yeah well, so uh, like you said, we talked about you get Memorial Cup and uh, you medicine hat, and you guys win it in, in Oshawa, and uh, um, yeah. Well, so now it's uh, you know you're 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 20 years old, and I'm looking at your thing, and I'm like, okay, what happened? Where did your 20 year old season go? You did not play in uh, in 87, uh, 88. No, and and that kind of goes back to you know when you're asking me about the fight with tony and stuff my my overage year was basically spent in uh hospital and physiotherapy i ended up having uh, both my shoulders operated on and and basically missed the that whole year so that uh that's where where that year disappeared to and and uh you know that was pretty tough it was it was tough mentally because you know it's your overage year and and yeah. you obviously you want to be playing and and physically, you know, the some of the surgeries they did back then, they, they don't do now because they, they didn't work very well. And they're, you know, physiologically, they were very tough on your on your body. I got a big uh, staple, <clears throat> excuse me, in my, that was one of my first surgeries, was a big uh, staple to keep my shoulder from dislocating. But it, uh, when they did that, um, it also really, really restricts your range of motion. So puts an awful lot of torque and pressure on, on everything else, your neck and, and whatever. So, um, yeah, that overage year was, uh, was not a great year in any respect and, and didn't end up playing at all that year, just, uh, surgeries and rehab. Yeah. So like you said, after you do the surgeries and the rehab, are you, are you sort of sitting there thinking like, do I want to keep, like, was it always, oh, I'm going to keep playing or did you kind of think, eh, maybe it's time to, you know, do something else or, was it always in your mind that you were going to get back? Uh, no, I, I had to take, I think I took about a week or so, you know, when I found out definitively that, look, you got to have these done if you're going to keep playing sort of thing. So I think I took about a week to figure out if if I wanted to have have the surgeries and go through all that or, or whatever. Because I think, you know, my left shoulder, I think at that, that time I dislocated it, you know, three or four times already. So um had to had to think about that one for a little bit and then once you know once i decided that well i'm gonna have this done and keep going then after that it just kind of uh after that it was didn't really matter what i did i just get it repaired and 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 keep playing sort of thing so yeah well and then so yeah so then the following year 21 you go and then into the ihl 
So you end up playing yep. with the uh, with Flint and with Milwaukee, and you know, and you play. Yep. Uh, I, I was like uh, twenty four games, so obviously um, uh, injuries again. But um, how was it getting back? Were you? I mean, you had you know six tilts, and so you, you. I mean, you went right back into it. Was there a lot of hesitation and kind of like uh, uh, you know, kind of baby steps with it? Uh, by the time I got down to the eye, you know, no, because I'd, I'd gone to Vancouver's camp that year as a, a walk on and, uh, they brought in, they, they wanted to get tougher. So they brought in, uh, you know, pretty much any free agents from the eye or whatever, guys like Kenny Molly and, uh, you know, a lot of other guys that, um, it was a very active camp. <laughs> I can't remember how many fights there were, but between that and then you know then you go into the rookie games against you know Calgary and whatever and and so by the time the season started um it, it was was really an, an afterthought at that point so you know by that time you probably already had you know eight or ten or twelve fights before you even start the season in the eye so yeah um but uh yeah so you kind of you know like you said few few games in the eye that year and you kind of got rolling and then, um, uh, yeah, and then and then again in uh, the the following year, eighty nine ninety, you miss again that season. Yep. Uh, again, yep. back to having surgery. Uh, yeah, I can't remember whether I whether I I think I had another surgery on my right shoulder that year, and and more rehab and stuff. So. Um, yeah, it was another, another year that basically at the end of that, that year I had to decide, look, you know, am I going to go keep going through this? And, um, obviously decided to, to keep plugging away. And from then on, you know, was able to, to play a lot more games each year, pretty much. It had, had a few surgeries that helped keep things in place, I guess. And, uh, and, but, uh, yeah, for couple years there in the first three or four years there there was uh a lot of questions as to whether i should keep keep doing what i was doing or not but but uh well yeah so you come 90 91 you come back you start uh adirondack with the red wings in the american hockey league um and then from there you end up in the east coast league in greensboro and i'm looking yeah that you had a nice run there actually you had eight games you had seven points in the regular season and the playoffs come Nine games. I don't know who pissed you off because you ended up with 118 minutes and nine games. So you were ready to rock and roll down there. Um, how, what was Greensboro like in the East Coast League at that time? And your coach was uh, um, Jeff, Jeff Brubaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, the, that's a little bit of a, a, a mistake in the stats. I still oh. don't know really how it happened. But I didn't. I didn't play in Adirondack that year. Or, well, I did, but it was later in the year. I actually started in Greensboro and, okay. and I think had the, the nine games or seven games. And then I went up to Adirondack on a, a 10 game or whatever. And, uh, so I, I played there. Uh, Barry Melrose was, was coaching there. And, and then when I went back to Greensboro, um, when I came back, uh, Daryl Noren had, had got sent down from Quebec and they'd given him my number. So I no problem. I'll take another number. Well, the, the statisticianing for whatever reason didn't think that because you had another number that it would be the same stats. So the uh, I think it's the following year it says that I 
uh, I, or the year that I played in St. John's, it says that I also played in Greensboro, but that was actually the same the same year. It was that ninety ninety one season in Greensboro, so it uh, yeah got a little bit convoluted there. <laughs> but uh, well, well, now as we're talking here, I'm, well, uh, you know, you play, you played in the international uh, the IHL. Oh, I miss the IHL. What a great league! The IHL, yeah, the American Hockey League, and. Uh, what, what were the two? What were the were the the, uh, the biggest di- like? What was different in the leagues between the two leagues? Between the I and the A. Yes. Um, I, I think well, when I was in the I and sort of I guess the mid nineties there with like Denver and Utah and all that, I think the only real difference was I think at that point the American League was sort of getting a little bit younger, like a, a little bit more of. Um, like the average age, I think, in the eye was was a couple years older. Um, you know, other than that, I don't think there was a, a huge difference at all. I mean, you look at, at guys that went back and forth or or whatever, and I, I don't. I think they were more. There were more similarities than anything, really. I think it it just came down to you know whose farm team you happened to be on at that point. You guys had to dig those Las Vegas road trips. Uh, well, yeah, there was, that was a good thing about playing in Denver and, and Salt Lake was basically we, you know, we had to sort of, at least on, on the Western side of things, we had to, to fly everywhere. So, you know, going into Vegas or Phoenix or San Francisco or LA, you know, it was, it wasn't too hard to take other than of course, you know, you had to play the games. So yeah, that but was, that was, nice that to was, that was play some hockey with no snow. That's always, you know, you know, anytime you don't have to plug the car in, it's good, but, uh. Well, you're yeah. a BC guy. Yeah. You're used to that weather, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd I'd take the snow over the rain anytime. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, when I'm starting my car in minus forty, I'm quite. I'll take rain. <laughs> uh, but uh, the next year it was uh, yeah ninety one ninety two year of the American League, and uh, yeah, but hell, you had a busy year. You're in St. John's playing for the Maple Leafs. Um, you played 44 games, 300 minutes of penalties, 25 tilts. So you, you hit the American League uh, guns blazing. And uh, th- that maritime division in the American League back then, that was insane. Yeah, yeah, it was just, I mean, that's, I don't think you could really go anywhere in, in the I or the A back there that, that wasn't, you know, wasn't kind of the, the same. You know, everybody had their rivalries, but... You know, Halifax, Cape Breton, Moncton, um, the team that I was on in St. John's that year. I mean, we came within 20 minutes of winning the Calder that year. We lost in game seven, but you know, you look at the guys that were on that team, you know, Kevin McClellan, Kevin McGuire, uh, you know, Curtis Hunt. It was just like you said, you go into Cape Breton, there was 4G and Francois LaRue and, and they had Johnny Cordick there in playoffs. And, you know, it was just, it, it, you look back now and it's like, Oh uh, yeah, that was, that was a pretty interesting time. So yeah. Well, was, yeah. Just, uh, to, just, just to give the people an idea, like you said, in Cape Breton, you had DeBrusque there too. Then in Halifax, yeah. you had Roberge Kaminsky, Marcinition and the bird dog. Then out in Fredericton, yeah. you had Darcy <laughs> Simon, LaBelle, Jerry Fleming, Moncton's got Poshak, Levins, and Reichel. And like you said, then they got, well, you in St. John's got you, Gillingham, McClellan, McGuire, Rob Pearson. I mean, and you're playing these teams like how many, eight, what, eight times a year? Like, oh, too many. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it was, uh, there were some, some, definitely some good rivalries and, and, you know, some of the games, I know uh, us and uh, I think it was Halifax, there was a couple, couple of incidents where, you know, a couple guys got hurt with hits. So the next games were kind of gong shows and, and uh, yeah, it was, it was never a dull moment. That's for sure. And that rink in St. John's was, you know, it was, it was almost like Queens park. It was the same sort of thing. It was a small rink and the fans were, were just unbelievable and and it was just a rabbit place to play so you know it was it was usually a pretty intense atmosphere yeah well and like you said yeah and the maritimers they you know they love the tilts and uh but out there your coaches were uh crawford and then you had a player coach it says joel quinville yeah that quinville guy i seem to remember him yeah no those 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 two guys were i think that was uh crow's first first year pro coaching he I think he'd coached in uh, in the queue the year before but um, I knew him a little bit because I'd actually played with him when I was in Milwaukee and uh, but yeah him and Quenner um, just they were awesome guys Quenner was I still actually laugh every time I see him, I've seen him on TV in like the last 10 years because he always looks so choked on the bench and yeah. he was just such a happy, you know, go lucky, friendly guy, uh, you know, as a player assistant. So I just kind of, I kind of laugh because it's, he always looks like he's going to explode on the bench, but yeah, really good guys, you know, both players, coaches and, uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty cool year. A lot of lot of good guys on that team. Felix Potvin, you know, no panic, Yannick, Yannick Perot, Mikey Stevens. You know, it's the same thing. You're playing with a bunch of guys. They're just a, a great group of guys. No panic, Yannick. That's tremendous. I've never, yeah. I've never heard that. Before. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that kid was a special player, man. He was. He was. Yeah, well, he was pretty cool. Why do you think he just never? We're not trying to sewer the guy, but I mean, in June, tore shit up in junior and in the minors, and just in the NHL, just you know, I don't know. It, it, was it? Uh, what do you think? Like, was it just, just one of those things? But, um, well, to be honest, I, I don't really know because I didn't actually, you know, I, I forget where I was after that. Probably went back to the eye or whatever. But I, I didn't really, you know, watch those guys in their sort of NHL careers, but. You know, some of it's just timing. You know, Toronto had had pretty good depth back then at forward with some of their guys. So it just, you know, back then, if you were a goal scorer and, and you got called up or you got an opportunity, it's not like now where, you know, if a guy gets called up and he's an offensive player, they're going to put him in a position, you know, to play offensive. If you got called up back then, typically you're, you're going to be with third or fourth line guy like me. So you know for guys like that to come up and try and show what they can show they weren't really you know put in the position that they were they've they kind of play in normally so um i don't know what what the deal with yannick was you know in terms of his nhl career but you know he was a incredible player when i played with him in the minors and great teammate you know those guys him and and felix Prodban and you know just you I would have loved to have seen those guys, uh, you know, have 20 year careers in the NHL because they're, they're just great guys. But, uh, I think a lot of it just comes down to with Yannick, probably timing and, and, 
and well, just opportunity. As I say it, I go and click on his profile. Well, here I'm up my ass. What am I talking about? Yeah, I didn't pay much. Christ, he played 859 games in the NHL, made like $15 million. So what am I talking about? He had 500 points. I'm up my ass here. Okay, never mind. I, sh- I might edit that completely out. I look like an idiot saying that. Yeah. <laughs> But I know in junior, he was like one of those guys, like, you know, out of the queue with like 80 goals and stuff. And yeah, yeah. well, here I am, 800 games, and I'm I'm questioning what happened. Oh, I sound like a moron. Actually, I'm going to leave that in. There you go, people. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm an idiot. Um, well, so, yeah, so like you said, St. John's, um, like you said, it was just, uh, you know, just battles out there. <laughs> and uh, I'm yeah. going to ask you, because you fought this guy six times that year, it was Peter Forentino. Well, I think it was Serge I fought six times. I think I fought Fiorentino two or three that year, if I'm not oh, mistaken. I, I, well, I don't know. I'm looking at your drop the gloves thing right now, and it's uh, you got Fiorentino six. Roberge, you fought four times they got here. So it might be more. It might obviously be incomplete, but that's who they got you down huh. as anyway. Although yeah, now I that I look, maybe there were roughings Fiorentino or something. Couple, but. But, well, on yeah. the phone you told me about that. Tell tell the tell the people listen, that Serge Roberge story that you told me. Oh, he, I mean, you, you talk about a guy that, you know, every single time you play, you know, you, you got to be aware because Serge was, he was no nonsense out there. He, he was probably, you know, probably one of the best guys you could ever have as a teammate, I'm sure, because he took care of everybody. And uh, the times I fought him, it was, Serge was a guy that was a, a really, really smart defensive strong guy and for me I, I wasn't that smart and, and didn't really you know have a ton of technique I just if I could get my arm free I'd, I'd try and throw some punches sort of thing well Serge was just amazing at, at he'd tie you up and you'd, you know you'd be trying to throw a couple punches and then all of a sudden you'd let go and crank you with one or two and then get a hold of you again and but the way that I, I to this day I don't know how how he did it. I've watched some of the tapes. I've watched him fight other guys, and he does the same thing. But somehow, by the time we were done, and, and I remember the one fight in St. John's, it literally took our trainer, I think, four or five minutes in the dressing room to try and untangle my my right arm inside my jersey. There was my elbow pads and shoulder pads and jersey were all like wrapped into a knot, and it was just it it was like i've i don't know it, there was just nothing you could do against him it, when once he grabbed a hold of you and, and and twisted you into a pretzel it was uh it was pretty tough to fight him so he was he was a guy that he was really tough he could throw really hard but he was always also a really frustrating guy to fight because he was so good defensively so you know i tried everything with him i I tried wearing a bigger jersey, you know, or wearing a smaller jersey. Or it, did, it didn't matter. My arm ended up, you know, wrapped into a knot by the end of it. So he was, uh, the, the dude was good at his job. Yeah. Well, speaking of jersey jerseys, I just out of the, since you said it, I was going to ask, uh, back then jersey alterations were a big thing. Of course, you had the tie-downs or some guy didn't like tie-downs. Uh, Basil McRae and Gordick had Velcro sleeves. You, of course, you had Dave Brown with the super tight left sleeve. Other guy, you know, yeah. uh, did you yeah. ever do anything like that? Or was it just like, uh, put it on, let's go. 
Well, I, I like I said, with especially, and I think it was predominantly because of because of surge. I I tried, you know, having a, a bit bigger jersey, like a goalie cut jersey, so that you know I had a little bit more room in in, in my right arm that I could, you know, if somebody grabbed hold of it, you could kind of still move your arm, and that <laughs> that didn't work against them. So then I I had the trainer sort of tighten up the right arm, so it was more like like you said, like brownie where you shouldn't be able to grab a hold of it and that didn't seem to work either so um i never really got too much past that but uh yeah some some of the guys really went went bonkers on on different stuff with their jerseys but uh it, yeah i just kind of tried a couple things and and other than that just kind of as long as i had a tie down on i was happy yeah uh well, like you said, with the well, I remember the question I asked you on the phone. I never got an answer from you, uh, but I asked you out of the Robert, who was the toughest Robert's brother, Mario or Serge? You didn't have an answer for me at the time. No, well, I I don't think I ever fought Mario. Uh, I know he was, you know, he was a really tough dude, especially you know he wasn't a huge guy at all. But um, I don't think I ever fought him. I, I might have fought him once in in Fredericton, but I can't remember. So. Really, I can only kind of speak to Serge, and I think Mario got you know got more playing time than Serge did. So um, I know guys had a ton of respect for both those guys. So you definitely, you knew if you were going into play against their team that you know both those guys you had to be aware of because they were they were tough, they were intense, and and you know they would they would be there every night. They never took nights off. So yeah, I, I just <laughs> I. I Either Say or, either or, pick yeah. your pick your poison. Yeah, well, I had to ask. That's that's for my boy out there. I know he's listed. Old, yeah, you played against him, old Max Mittendorf, Mac, Maxie, oh, Maxie, yeah, frying out in the Arizona sun out there. I hope you're doing good, Max. We're gonna get you on the show. Uh, and him and I had a big argument on Twitter one night. We were talking, and he swears Mario is the toughest out of the two. And uh, we went we went back and forth about it because I was I was saying Serge, but. Uh, there we go. I'm going right to the horses, but I'm talking to the guy that fought him. So uh, we're we're. I'm going to default to you, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll I'll default to Maxie and you. I'm not let let you guys hash that one out. Well, there Maxie, they're out in Halifax. How good was he? There you go. I mean, there's a guy who could put it in. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know how many. He, he must have been. I would think that you're you know eighty eighty ninety a hundred points. I would think. I mean, don't. Don't quote me. You'd know better than me, but yeah, he was a he was a skilled dude. You know, obviously a really big guy and yep. uh, pretty underrated as far as you know skill skill for his size, definitely. Yeah. Well, well oh, ask me. I already I already shit the bed with the Yannick uh, panic Yannick stuff. <laughs> I don't don't ask me nothing. But uh, <laughs> hey, man, I might I might I might be dumb, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> well, and another guy, cause I was talking to Clark Wilm, uh, he was the last interview I did and we were, I talked about him, uh, him playing against Fredericton and he said there was one guy that we always talked about, just don't wake him up. And it was Jerry Fleming. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big yeah. Jerry. I mean, I know you took him on. What was that like? Uh, I, I'm trying to, th- I think that was in St. John's, um, cause I don't think I played against him that often. Um, I don't, don't remember if he was, I think he might've been up for a while that year or whatever, but, uh, you, you know, really big dude. I think he was a lefty. So we both, you know, sort of threw a couple laughs. I think linesman got in there pretty early actually, but, um, yeah, he was, he was 
from what I remember, he was a really, really big dude and, yeah. and, uh, uh, seen a couple good tilts with him, you know, YouTube tilts with some other guys that, that I know are really tough guys. So he, yeah. he was, uh, he was a legit, legit guy. That's oh, for yeah. sure. Big dude. He had like, like awesome fights with, uh, like, and he was at Fredericton forever, like just an institution there. I mean, the great yeah. fights with Rocky and with Link and Baya Lois and, and, uh, yeah, yeah, big dude. I heard, I think he's a nurse now. I believe he's a nurse. Well, you definitely, whatever, whatever pills he t- tells you to take, I'd take them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, uh, for sure. Somebody told me that. I might not, that might not be true, but I think, yeah, he's Gail, Gail, Gaylord Falker, yeah, the male nurse, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Fleming. There yeah. you go. Like you said, whatever he tells you to take, you'll do and like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so from St. John, uh, well, and then, yeah, okay, so now my timeline's all screwed up because you said you weren't in Greensboro. That, so 92-93, did you miss that season? 92-93, I started in Greensboro. And yeah, because it only has you listed played, in Greensboro, and that's it. Yeah, we played, I think, the first first 20 games of the year that year were on the road because they were uh, renovating the rink because they were that's when Carolina got awarded a team um, but they didn't have a rink um, in rally I think uh, at the time so they were going to use they were going to play the next year in Greensboro but they had to add on like a whole other tier to the to the building so, like I said, the first month and a half, I think we were on the road. Oh, you're and, like, oh, this uh, is great, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, we just we had uh, had some some issues with you know payments for some of the guys and some of the some of the you know the the host uh, host people for some of the the new guys on the team and whatever. So, um, myself and, and one of the other older guys on the team had a slight disagreement with management and, uh, decided that, you know, for my 300 bucks a week, um, I, I, I could do other things for 300 bucks a week than be on the road, you know, fighting and getting a, a ham sandwich for a post game meal. So that yeah. was, uh, I think that was that was it for that year. I think. Well, and that was like really strange. And I mean, uh, you know, you're in St. John's. You had the 300 minutes, 25 tilts. Here we go. And then the next year, like, like was it something? Like what happened? The phone just didn't ring, or like what what happened? Like I thought for sure, like especially back then, here's a big willing guy that can play a little, and and you know, like who's your agent, man? You got to fire that guy. Well, you know, that, that was sort of a, uh, a part of it. And, you know, I'll, I'll take my, my share of the blame for it, for, you know, maybe taking some, some advice that I shouldn't have, but the agent that I had at the time that summer, uh, you know, we we're trying to renegotiate a new deal with Toronto and, um, cause that was obviously, you know, St. John's parent team. And, and, uh, I think Curtis Hunt had just signed a, a deal the year before the year that summer or whatever, that was a, a really good deal. And he'd had two or three other teams interested. So he, he got a, a, a pretty good contract for a minor league contract. So, uh, we were kind of holding tight to that, but, you know, had, had a decent year. I'd actually got called up to play uh against chicago but then they had the lockout the next day and all that so you know i thought okay well should be able to get a pretty good deal from what my agent was saying at the time and anyways long story short by the end of the summer it it, you know became apparent that 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 wasn't going to happen and i think they ended up uh ended up signing rudy uh from moncton 
And uh, so I, you know, I didn't have a contract. And so I thought, well, I'll go down to Greensboro where I played previously and, and, you know, play for a month or two. And then I should be able to, to, you know, catch on with somebody. And I think between the way things had gone at the start of the year with Greensboro, with, with uh, some of the stuff that was going on there, and then just being obviously frustrated that, that things hadn't worked out going back to, to St. John's or, you know, whatever. Um, it, it just kind of, it was a bad, a bad taste. So I just, that's, that's when I decided to pack it in for the year and, and uh, just rethink things, I guess. So, yeah. But, uh, well, and then the next year, 93-94, you hit the Central League. You're in Tulsa with the Oilers. And you had a big year, man. 39 games. You got 28 points. 326 minutes of penalties, which led the league, by the way. And, uh, yeah, what was your – well, and then we're going to get into a – there was a few incidents in the playoffs there with Tulsa and Oklahoma. But, first of all, what was your uh, what was your impressions <laughs> of uh, the Tulsa Oilers and how was your time down there? Um, you know, other than, other than all the suspensions and fines and whatever, it was, you know, it was really good. It was a a good organization. Again, a great bunch of guys, you know, Taylor Hall was there. Coxie was my roommate, Craig Cox and, um, really good, really good guys, great fans. Um, we had a a good team. We went to the the finals that year against Wichita. So all that stuff was, you know, was, was really positive. So. Yeah, enjoyed it there and still keep in touch with, with a few guys. Gary Unger, who is my coach there, who's, uh, you know, one of the best, best people I've ever met. Um, still keep in touch with him. And, and, uh, so yeah, I got some great memories from Tulsa from that year. Well, I know on my YouTube page, uh, everybody listen, fourth line voice, go to YouTube, 1800 videos. But one of the videos I put up was in the playoffs. You score the overtime winner, backhand, top shelf. Uh, yeah, it was my go-to move. Oh, absolutely. Like, you knew what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was going to say, for a goal scorer, you were a hell of a fighter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so you snipe in overtime, and then Oklahoma City's leaving the leaving the ice. Well, they get into it with the fans, and we're swinging sticks and the whole nine yards. But also what other, I don't have video of this, but also what happened was uh, in Tulsa, the one night, Bruce Shoebottom, Got into it in the penalty box and ended up getting choked out by the Tulsa police and and big lawsuit and blah blah blah. Were you like, what did what what's going on here? Like, well, yeah, the the game you're talking about with the, the overtime that was actually I think a, a game or two after the whole or maybe even three games after the whole thing with Shoe that started at at, at the beginning of the series and um, basically what had happened was he gone after you know a couple of our guys or whatever and had a minor penalty and so when I went out I went after a couple of their guys and as I was going to the box we had words and tried to you know kind of get at him he tried to come out the box and um, at that point I think it was one of the uh, off-ice officials that you know I guess tried to <clears throat> excuse me tried to close the door and um, from there, it, it kind of escalated where the police, you know, jumped in thinking that this guy was in trouble and whatever. And then it, it, it just got kind of crazy after that. And I know he got, he got choked out and maced and was in pretty, pretty rough shape in the hospital. And, you know, I actually went, went to see him in the hospital the next day and whatever. But, uh, that was, that was a pretty, you know, pretty crazy incident. And then, a couple nights later, you know, after the overtime thing, there when 
when uh, I don't actually know what started that in the corner with, you know, with fans and that going off. But uh, I mean, you know, games changed a lot back then. Oh, yeah. Obviously, that that was it wasn't an everyday occurrence. But you know, going back to junior days in Seattle and Spokane and whatever, you know, there there's lots of um, uh, interaction with the fans yeah. and. Uh, you know that one obviously that was luckily in that one i don't think anybody got hurt um with the sticks you know stick swinging and stuff or whatever but uh just uh you you know you never knew what was going to happen in in a game until until you were on your way home pretty much yeah well i was gonna say well i mean you being the, the old new west boy there with queen's park i mean all that shit back in the day that was called tuesday in Queen's Park, yeah. you know, that was, uh, yeah. yeah, no, for the, I mean, obviously you and I would joke and I mean, I mean, I'm old enough to remember all this stuff. That's why I always kind of laugh when I'm on Twitter now and they're, they're talking about Reeves and Wilson and, oh, they're so dirty and it's, oh my God, it's the end yeah. of the world. It's like, oh, come on. That was like, uh, you know, that was warm ups back in the day. I mean, that's, yeah. that's why I don't really get too, uh, you know, worked up over stuff that happens now. Cause it's, uh. You know, and, I, and I'm not trying to glorify it, like, oh, that's the way it still should be. I'm not saying that. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, for older people listening, they're nodding, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the younger people, it's like going right over there. Like, this is blowing their mind, this stuff, listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, no, different, different I mean, time, right? Yeah, it's just it's just the way the way things were back then. I mean, I remember you know my first first year, first or second year in in the Western League, like Seattle, they still had chicken wire instead of plexiglass. <laughs> so yeah. you know, you'd line up on the boards and somebody you know throw a, a little cup of you know used chew you know down the back of your neck or whatever. Like it was. <laughs> stuff that you probably wouldn't see at your average game, you know, anymore. So, it's, no. uh, which is probably just as well, but yeah, it's just the way it was, you know, like I understand you're not trying to glorify it. It's just, it's, it's the way things were. And, oh, it's the reality you know. of it, right? We're talking the truth yeah. here and we're getting the stories. And like I said, that's why having guys like you on and, uh, and, and like, you know, old Josh Mazur and Chris Waltz and guys like that. I mean, it was a different time and you try to relate. That's why, like I said, when I was talking to you earlier, this is what the point of the show is like to kind of, uh, you know, ex- kind of paint the picture for, for people that weren't there and, uh, you know, what, it, what it was really like and what you guys had to go through. And, uh, I mean, you guys put it like, you know, you laid it down out there, man. It was, uh, it wasn't, uh, this wasn't Sunday skate. Like this was shit was on when you showed up at the rink yeah. and whether it was on the ice or with the fans or whatever, I mean, you're standing there getting a friggin' skull shower and, uh, and you yeah. got goddamn <laughs> Sergio Bears staring at you. Like it was, this wasn't, uh, you know, uh, just a walk in the park. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of that stuff back in the day, you know, there, if, if there was a camera there for the team, it was, you know, some, some guy holding the VHS camera in the top row or whatever. But a lot of the games, you know, there wasn't any tape or the tape got lost after the game. So, you know, 90% of that stuff is, no. you, you, unless, unless you were there or you actually know that that stuff happened, it's pretty yeah. tough to believe, but that's, yeah. that's just the way it was. Oh, you're, you're, you're breaking my heart, Mike, with all the footage that's gone. <laughs> oh, it's, I don't even want to oh. think about it. Oh, it's, uh, 
Oh. Yeah, the stuff that's lost, especially especially being a, an old WHL guy. I mean, I would love to see that New West stuff and and to see all you guys. I mean, I mean, there's some of it's out there, and I put I try to upload as much as I can and stuff. But like you said, most of that stuff is unfortunately gone with the sands of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, in some some ways, I'm sure a lot of us are thankful. For well, that yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. You could look at it that way. Um, well, so the next, uh, so after the Tulsa year, the ninety four ninety five, you go and play in Denver in the IHL. You're yeah. twenty. Um, did you have any uh, camps before that? Like, were you an Islander camp? I would assume. No, no. Oh, actually, you went right to Denver in, in Tulsa, and then I actually that summer I came back to Vancouver, and I actually played roller hockey in the the RHI for Tiger oh. Williams for the Vancouver Voodoo. Nice. I didn't and, know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was the only year I played there, and it was kind of, the, the league was sort of, you know, that was when it was really at its kind of, not maybe not its apex, but it was on its way up, so it was pretty, you know, pretty popular, and yeah. you know, uh, teams all across U.S. and Canada, I think, so um, I played there for the summer, and then um, basically through, just sort of through that, and through playing in Tulsa the year before, um, somehow uh, Butchie, uh, Butch Goring was the coach and GM um, in Denver, which was an expansion team, as you know. Yep. And uh, he got a hold of got a hold of my agent and uh, ended up offering me a contract to go there and and jumped at that. And and man, that was you know probably the most fortunate decision in my life uh, in a lot of ways. So yeah, well, well, before we get to that, I, I didn't even know this RHI. Oh, that roller hockey! That was that was awesome. There was like so many dudes in that league. Well, and like you said, playing yeah. with the Vancouver Voodoo. Well, yeah. Tiger Williams. Yeah. What's what's Tiger like? Tiger is. I mean, Tiger's Tiger. It's yeah. Really, about all you can say about him. He's he's uh, about as as straightforward a guy in terms of you know whatever Tiger's thinking, he'll say it. And, uh, he's, I, I got along, got along good with him. Um, you know, other than when we we're playing three on three after practice, then, then it always got exciting. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, no, he's, he's a, he was a good guy and it was a lot of fun playing in that league. And, and I think he was one of the, I don't know whether he was one of the directors in the league, but I know he was, he was definitely involved in, in the Vancouver organization as more than just a coach. So Tiger was a really smart businessman. He was involved in a lot of, a lot of different things. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I got along good with him. We used to ride, I had a Harley at that point and we'd ride, ride, uh, our Harleys and stuff a little bit after practice sometimes. So yeah, I got along good with Tiger. He's a, he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, okay, so now we go to the IH, and like you said, best decision you ever made. Uh, Butch Goring's the coach, GM, and you guys end up winning the whole thing. Well, two years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that, uh, you know, uh, you know, you had, you had the, the, the big, what was, uh, what was it like in the eye that year and in Denver and just the championship season? What was, uh, what are your memories of that? You know, that, that was, by far for me personally, that was my favorite, you know, favorite year in hockey. Um, just everything about that year it was, you know, obviously a really a big surprise. I mean, we're an expansion team and it was the Islanders farm team um, and they didn't do particularly well that year. So um, 
the support that we got in Denver from the fans, like they, they really jumped on board once they sort of saw how good the team was. Cause the, the team was, um, you know, in, in my estimation, I think the best team I ever played on. And, uh, just, uh, it was just an awesome year. Everybody like throughout the whole organization, whether it was people in the front office or, or, you know, people in the, the, the community service or the fans or ownership or whatever, just, it, it was just such a special year. And then, you know, you got guys like Gordy Deneen and Andy Brickley and, you know, you can go down the list, right. It was just, just a, a great year, a great bunch of guys. And, and, uh, you know, to come out of it at the end with, with the championship and, you know, it was unfortunate for us that when we were in the, in the uh, the finals against Kansas City, that they had announced that the Nordiques were moving to uh, to Denver, so we never actually played another another game uh, in Denver. Um, we actually won the cup on the road, and that was it. We you know we were we we knew that the writing was on the wall, so it was uh, I, I I would have stayed in Denver to this to this day if I could have. I, I loved that place. I loved the state of Colorado, and it was just an awesome year. Just an awesome year. Yeah, well, and and like you said, one of your and uh, one of your other teammates was uh, was a legendary minor league tough guy. Uh, was uh, Jason Simon. The chief? Yes. Yeah, what was, was he my, like? He was my roomie too. There, well, hey, that's a hell of a. There you go. Uh, what was he like? Yeah. Chief was, uh, you know, he's another one of those guys that just, you know, just a, a, a guy that would do anything for his teammates. You know, we had guys like him and Jeff Serka, and you know, just guys who were just ultimate teammates as far as anything that they needed to do for for a guy on or off the ice you know they, they would do it and uh you know chief was like you said he's legendary i mean he he took care of business he'd fight anybody anytime and and you know be happy doing it so um was fortunate enough to to run into him a month or so ago we had uh, the new york islanders uh, alumni reunion that um the islanders have put on for the last couple of years uh, john ledecky and scott malk and the owners there graciously invited you know anybody that's ever played a game for the islanders back for these so uh, bumped into chief there and He's uh, he's doing some awesome work now. He goes around to um, uh, a lot of the First Nations uh, um, kids and and does speaking engagements on uh, you know drug and alcohol abuse, all that kind of stuff. So you know, obviously he did his job as a player, but now he's he's actually probably doing even more to help people than he did to help his teammates. So you know, it's great to see stuff like that too. Excellent, excellent. Um... Yeah, so like you said, you win the championship big year at Denver. Then the next year, um, you know, you're, then you guys move to Utah, win it again. Yep. But also in that year, you live out every kid's dream. You you suit up in the NHL with the New York Islanders, despite yep. having to wear the fish sticks jersey. <laughs> at that point, you're in the NHL. I mean, you you know, you, hell, you you know, go shirts and skins at that point. But I mean. Uh, what what uh, you know? You step on the ice in in uh, for your first NHL game. What was that like? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty surreal. Like you said, I mean, it's every every kid's dream, you know. Especially growing up, a Canadian kid playing street hockey, you know, until yep. dark, and uh, just 
once I got, once I got that first shift, everything after that was gravy, you know, it was just honestly kind of waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder and say, Hey, you know, we figured out you're not supposed to be here. Like, you know, but, uh, it's, it was, it was amazing. It was, uh, you know, I don't even know. Well, I having trouble putting it into words because obviously it's it's just one of those things where you, you you know got to live out your dream at least for a short period of time. So yeah, very very thankful and fortunate. And, and other than the uh, Captain Highlander jersey, it was pretty cool. So. <laughs> yeah, well, like you said, it was uh, the top of the you know top of the top of the mountain, right? You made it, and you're one yeah. of the select couple thousand people that ever did it. You know, we all tried it. We none of us ever came close. But uh, yeah, to get it, whether it's you know six games or six seconds or six minutes, right? You were there, and no one yeah. could take that away yeah. from you. And you go to the the hockey, you know, the NHL alumni page. Mike McWilliams in the list. So yeah, I mean that's awesome, man. Um, so yeah, so you're sitting on Long Island, and uh, you look over, and I didn't realize at the time, but uh, Saskatoon boy, hero around here. Wendell Clark, that was his year in the island. On the island, what was Wendell? Uh, do you did you uh, have a chance to mingle with Wendell at all? No, I don't think Wendell was there when I when I was there. Anyways, um, no, no, he was. I because I, I I know he was in Toronto when I got called up there briefly. But uh, in the island when I was there, I don't think he was there at that point. It was. Uh, uh, you know, guys like Pat Flatley, Bertuzzi, yeah, uh, guys McCabe. like that. But I don't think, don't think Wendell was there at that point. Well, they got him listed playing 58 games. Well, maybe he was hurt. Maybe that's why he wasn't there. Uh, they got him listed 58 games. Wendell Clark with the Islanders. I don't know. They're, this whole thing's messing me up here. I'm, I'm screwing up on Yannick. I got Wendell playing where he shouldn't be playing. Oh, well. Uh, but I could, I could be wrong, but I, I'm, I don't think he was there that season, but, uh, yeah. I could well, be, what do I could know? There you go. Well, one of your fights was against uh, a favorite of mine, legendary in the NHL, was Paul Laws. Yeah. How did, how did that, uh, what, uh, how did that go? Uh, it, it, good. It's another one of those things where, you know, he just, it just kind of happened or just, out there and and realized you know from looking at the stats i mean i'd never played against him before or anything so i really didn't know you know much about him i'd been stuck in the minors so um basically just uh went in behind the net and kind of both finished our checks and and you know that was uh, kind of game on and um unfortunately the the camera doesn't click in until a few seconds later because we Threw a couple good punches back and forth. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Had a, had a uh, another few few good ones back and forth, and he, another guy that you know I had no idea till sort of heard from guys afterwards how how strong that dude was. Um, really, really uh, powerful guy. So he's uh, it was you know if I'd have known more about him, you know, I <laughs> might have uh, approached it differently. But uh, yeah, he's. He, watching you know some of the some of the other fights that he had that year because i think that year he led the league in majors too so so, yeah yeah he uh but you know really honest guy you know some guys you got to kind of watch out for when you you both go to the ice or whatever but uh yeah no just uh kind of happy to to have have one in the books against him looking back it's kind of you know there's some guys that that uh 
um, are pretty highly respected by, you know, in terms of a teammate and a fighter. And I think that's probably, like you said, you know, he's a sort of a legend to you and, and, uh, yeah, I think he, he certainly did his job well for a lot of years. Yeah. Um, now in, uh, no, I completely, here I am lured my notes here. I'm completely losing my train of thought. No, in, uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, because now it, it, with the technology we have, every oh, the mic'd up, and you hear all the si- the sights and the sounds of the league. Um, yeah. In terms of like, uh, were you a were, like as a kid, say chirper? Were you a big talker, or did you uh, you kind of the silent type, or like? Uh, I mean, I guess it depends, right? If things are getting heated, I guess words get said. But how would you define yourself? Were you a, a chatter or not? No, not really. You know, if things got heated or whatever, then then that was one thing. But I, I definitely wasn't like a you know a trash talker, a chirper. I wasn't smart enough. You know, there were guys that could throw one liners out. You know, Kevin McClellan and guys like that that would just slice guys to be pieces with with one liners and cuts. And uh, I definitely wasn't one of those guys. I just uh, you know, if if things got things got heated or whatever, then yeah, you kind of chirp back and forth. But uh, yeah, wasn't really, and, and to be honest, that wasn't. Um, I, I don't think overall that was a, as big of a thing because there wasn't a whole lot much trash talk. Because if somebody was talking, then somebody else was going to drop their gloves, basically. Yeah. So it uh, it didn't really didn't really go on all that much, you know, with the guys that guys like Surge and stuff like that, and those guys weren't. They weren't chirpers. They weren't yappers. Anything like that. You just went out and did your job, pretty much. So. Was um, in terms of like, did you kind of like in, in terms of your fighting style? Did you kind of like to get in quick, or were you like a square off guy? Like, how did you prefer to do it? Um, it, I guess it just really depended on on you know how things happened, whether you knew it was going to happen or just kind of spontaneous. But um, uh, I, I guess I was sort of more of a square off and, and, you know, you just want to try and make sure that you get a, at least a good hold somewhere on, on the other guy's Jersey, you know, before you start really trying to go crazy because, uh, otherwise you can get thrown around pretty quickly. So, um, you know, some guys, some guys like to square off, some guys would rush in, you know, um, I, I'd say it was probably more, uh, kind of more square off than, than, sort of bum rush you know just because you can always get tagged coming in if you're not careful so yeah well like so you said so you're in the island you make you you live the dream uh and you're also in you you, you're in utah uh and uh, again you guys win it you have a big 53 game 24 points again 300 minutes 16 tilts like big year for you um just kind of going through some of your uh some of your opponents oh i gotta ask right away I, i noticed your second fight with utah uh with my boy Mad Mel Engelstad, do you remember how that how that <laughs> fight went? Yeah, I, I I believe, and unfortunately, I think that's one of the ones that uh, that unless somebody else has it, I I don't think I've ever seen a, a tape of it. But um, I think think we went pretty much right off the draw. I think um, we were lined up in front of their net or whatever. I can't remember whether. You know, either one of us said anything or what, but it was, I think it was pretty good tilt. I think there was quite a few punches thrown in that one. And, and, uh, neither, you know, from what I remember, neither one of us really tried to, to tie up at all, which, you know, watching those fights now, I'd say that's probably 
probably pretty accurate from watching yep. his style. So, yep. yeah, from what I remember, I wish wish I could see a tape of it because I think it was a pretty good tilt. Yeah. But, uh, um, well, another guy that was wide open that you fought was uh, Trevor Sen. He was in Houston at the yeah, time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, Barry Drager. And then the, uh, uh, well, yeah, uh, and then the fight that, uh, I think I put this up actually, um, against, um, the late Sasha Lakovic. Um, yeah. what are your, what are your, uh, everyone's got, everyone seems to have a Sasha story. Do you have any Sasha stories or what was it like being on the ice with him? Uh, well, I knew him a little bit cause he, he was actually on that, uh, that yeah. Vancouver voodoo roller hockey yep. team. Yep. Um, and uh, so I knew him a little bit, but, um, you know, talked to him a couple times before the season or whatever. But, uh, you know, Sash was a pretty intense guy on the ice. And I think that was, I think I'd fought uh, Jeff Riccardi the shift before and then fought Sash. And and um, I think that was a game that uh, he'd, he'd ended up running uh, Roddy Miller, one of our D-men, and, and hurting him pretty bad and got kicked out. So we kind of actually were trying to, trying to get at each other um, in between the dressing rooms because I was already out of the game at that point. But, um, yeah, he was, uh, I think he had four or 500 minutes that year, I think, if I remember correctly. So, um, you know, another guy really strong, fast, both hands, you know, just uh, he, he, he liked to fight from from what I remember. Not You know, not everybody did. There was a lot of guys that were really good at it, but, you know, didn't actually go out of their way to, to you know, try and fight two or three times a game. But, um, you know, I think Sash was a guy that, that enjoyed it quite a bit. So yeah, had to be, had to be aware when he was out there. Yeah. Well, and like you said, you guys have back-to-back champs. You win it again. And, uh, in Utah. And, uh, I mean, that had to be like to win a championship is something, but to go back to back, that's, uh, that's really something. Yeah. And again, it was, you know, pretty special core group of guys and obviously butch and and you know chevy kevin shovel was our assistant coach and mm-hmm. so you know it was a, a really good group in utah too i think we went through a lot of guys that year 40 or 50 guys just with call-ups and and whatever from the island because again they you know they were struggling so they anybody that was was playing well you know was called up quite often so we had we had quite a bit of turnover so i think the year in Utah was probably more of a, I don't want to say surprise, but it, it was a tougher, a tougher road going into playoffs. I think we lost seven or eight out of our last 10 games. And, uh, you know, cause you play into June the year before and stuff too, it, it kind of catches up to you. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think, I think we swept that year as well. Mark Rogers, who we traded from Vegas, we we traded for him, and he got the overtime winner, I think, in Game Four. So, you know, again, just it's stuff that you've got that for life, right? It's yep. it's a memory that that uh, never you know never goes away, and it's it's uh, those two years were were the highlights. I think that that Denver Utah group was just a it was just a special couple years, and and to win it twice in a in a row was. Yeah, it was pretty spectacular. Absolutely. Well, and then the the following year, you're still in the eye, but you're in Phoenix now, out in the sun in yep. Phoenix, and uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, some some characters on that team, um, you know, from Ken McRae and Roman Volpat and 
Steve McKenna and uh, yeah. the the late Barry Potomsky. Um, do you yeah. have any memories of Barry? Uh, the Barry, he wasn't there a ton that year because I think he was he was up with LA quite a bit. Um, I I didn't really know him previous to that year. I'd fought him a couple times, I think, but. Um, from what I remember of him, really, you know, really good guy, just a, you know, good, gregarious, funny teammate. Um, obviously, you know, knew how to do his job very well and stuff, but, uh, I didn't, didn't get to know him that well. Um, you know, Kenny McCray, Steve McKenna, uh, Roman, all those guys were there pretty much, you know, most of the year. So got to know them a little bit better, but, uh, yeah, it's it's sad when you start uh, you know thinking through all the guys you know just uh, guys that you fought you know Sasha Potomsky you know all these guys that are you know they're no longer with us it's it's uh, kind of a little bit of a, a wake up call you know and you see you know Todd uh, again we go back to New West Todd and, and uh, Todd and Dean and I you know lived together in the summers and worked together and stuff and so. You know, it uh, it's it's tough when you see see guys that are are gone that that early in life. So. No, absolutely, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and um, yeah, I think with Barry's, I think I think it was just a, it was a heart attack, I believe. It was, uh, you know, thirty some years old. I mean, that's just uh, yeah, that's no good, terrible. Um, but uh, yeah, so twenty nine. So uh, I'm just. So you played the twenty nine games in Phoenix. Did you uh, did you get hurt again? Yeah, I, uh, again blew my blew my shoulder out. Yeah. Well, I actually uh, blew my thumb out. Um, I think it was uh, New Year's Eve. I think in Fort Wayne, I fought Andy Bezo and and just tore my tore my ligaments right out of my thumb. So I uh, was out for a month or a month and a half. You know, trying to let that heal up. Ended up having pins put in at the end of the year, but then uh blew my shoulder out again near the end of the year um and uh had surgery on that at the end of the year as well so yeah i missed a lot of games the second half of the year with uh with some pretty major injuries so that was unfortunate i was really looking forward to having a good go there um i was actually had signed a i think a two or three year deal with phoenix and um, ended up the team folded at the end of that year. Um, otherwise, I was hoping to have stayed there for a couple of years and kind of finished off my career. So, yeah, it wasn't wasn't the year I was hoping for, that's for sure. But, um, you know, uh, can't control everything, right? No, exactly. Um, well, and you mentioned him here just earlier. What uh, You talk about minor league characters. Andy Bezo. What was he like playing against? Um. I, I only played against him a couple times, but you know, pretty much all you got to do is watch one shift on YouTube, and that's uh, from what I remember. That's what he was like. You know, every time he was on the ice, he just uh, you know, thousand miles an hour. And again, another guy that uh, wanted to fight. You know, everybody every shift, sort of thing. So yeah, and pretty intense dude. And never met him off the ice, so don't really know anything about him. You know, in terms of. of guys that played with him or whatever but uh he was certainly a guy that was uh, a fan favorite in, in fort wayne that's for sure um yeah well and another guy again the ihl i mean like all the leagues back then just had some characters but one guy i wanted to ask you about who racked up a ton of pims and had the huge rep and you know a western guy was uh topperowski yeah uh, yeah uh, topper was he was uh 
he was in Vegas there with, you know, when I was in, I think it was the year I was in Denver top who was there and stuff. But, um, uh, again, didn't, didn't ever meet him off the ice or anything. And, and, you know, the games that, that we played against them, he and I never had any issues, which, which was just fine. Um, but yeah, I think he, uh, he came into that, that year, I think he'd put up, you know, 500 minutes the year before or two years before or whatever. So, you know, from what I remember, he was a, a big lefty and, and, um, yeah, he was, he was a, a pretty tough dude. I know, uh, speaking of Twitter, um, I have a cat out in Phoenix that follows me. I believe he was the trainer and his nickname was Smoke. Do you remember him? Smoke Adams, I believe is his name. To be honest, I, uh, it doesn't ring a bell, but that doesn't mean that I didn't know him. Well, he might not have been, he might not have been there yeah. when you were there, but, uh. Yeah, smoke. I I just uh, every time I post something about the the road runners, he's right in there. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm just throwing that out as an aside. But uh, well, so after the season is in, done up in Phoenix, um, you're hanging out, and the fo- the phone call comes, and here we go. You're going across the ocean to Cardiff. Yeah. How did this all, and this is the part, everybody, I put it up on Twitter today. I was saying to you earlier that I was interviewing you tonight and all the UK folks were so pumped that I was talking to you and, uh, Andrew Brandt, I know Chris Watkins, I was supposed to give you a shout out. Thank you very much for on Twitter. Uh, he's such nice. a big, he's such a big fan. You know what his Twitter handle is? McWilliam24. That's his Twitter handle. Oh. Yeah, but, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh, he says he's got your game stick. He's pumped. He's tuning in. He was, a, and uh, <laughs> there's lots of folks that are pumped. Uh, the Cardiff fans are pumped for this portion of it. Um, how did the whole? Because back then in the in the '90s and stuff, I don't want to say it was unheard of to go to the UK and stuff. I mean, nowadays, whatever. But I mean, back then, you know, especially kind of for a tougher dude. Um, how did this all come about? And uh, and and we'll start there. How did how did you get in touch? And how did you end up in Cardiff? Yeah, it was, it was kind of, uh, you know, one of those six degrees of separation things. Um, I, I think it was, uh, Frankie Caprice that, um, was the goalie in Cardiff. And I, I, Frankie, I think, I can't remember whether it was roller hockey or in, in Tulsa, but I played with Frankie uh, a few years previous. And it was actually, I got, got contacted by Cardiff the, um, the summer, uh, between Utah and Phoenix and ended up signing with Phoenix, but, um, they had contacted me at that point and, uh, said, you know, thanks, but, but I'm staying in North America sort of thing. So once Phoenix folded, um, there was kind of waiting to find out what was going on with the rest of, of our, there was three or four of us that were under contract and we didn't really know what was going to happen. So, uh, again, got a call from, from Cardiff and, uh, talked to Gary Younger, uh, who had played over there, uh, later in his career. And he said, Oh yeah, it's really, really cool. And those guys kind of, I don't want to say suckered me in, but they did sucker me in. Cause <laughs> it was one of those. Yeah. You only play, I think, I think they said, you know, you play 28 or 32 games a year or whatever. And like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Well, they, they failed to tell you that that's they kind of group it differently, or at least they did at that time. You'd have your your regular season games, but 
then the next night you might be playing a Challenge Cup game, and two nights later you're playing a Benson and Hedges Cup game. So you end up playing, you know, 70 or 80 games a year. They just they got me with the the 32 regular season games. So um, I decided to to go over there. I had, had uh, you know British heritage, um, so I, I wasn't technically an import. So thought, uh, so, you know, why not? I've, get a chance to see a different part of the world and at that point the the level of play once i got over there anyways i realized level of play was you know really good there was you know quite a few ex nhl guys there like i said frankie caprice uh kenny hodge was there um kenny Priestley, guys like that so the level of play was actually really surprisingly uh at least surprisingly to me it was really really quite quite good and uh fans over there were you know just same as as st john's and stuff just as rabid as you can get you know hockey had a good following but obviously was you know probably fourth or fifth down on the sports list but the people that that did follow it and did come to the games were as you know as passionate as you would ever find so it was uh that was pretty pretty cool how i ended up there and and uh, had a good couple years um really enjoyed it there and have been back a few times since yeah i would like to say in manchester newcastle and nottingham and sheffield i mean you know that was um like did you have a chance to take in a lot of the um well like you said i well i think i just you answered that question already it you kind of thought you were gonna have a lot of time to sightsee and then next thing you know they're throwing an 80 game schedule at you but yeah, what, yeah. What was, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, you know, you get over there, like, what, what would you, like, on a day off and stuff, like, uh, what, are, what are the cats doing over in the UK at that time? Well, you know, that's the thing is that we, you know, it was the same schedule as it was over here. So you didn't really have days off, so to speak. Like, I thought we were going to have, you know, sort of two or three days off in between. But, um, uh, pretty, you know, pretty much the same thing. There was a lot of, a lot of Canadian guys over there playing. So, you know, yeah. guys would, you know, do the normal, normal off day stuff, get together for lunch. If, if it wasn't uh, a snowstorm or a rainstorm, a lot of guys would try and get out and go golfing and stuff. So, you know, kind yeah. of the, the same old, same old, but just, a, a, you know, obviously a little bit of culture shock at first, but. Yeah, like I've never, like in the UK, I've never, obviously, I've never been over there. I was just, what, what was like the weather and stuff like at that at that time of the year? I mean. Well, Cardiff is, um, I guess it's, it's kind of similar to, to Vancouver in that it's, you know, it gets a lot of rain and stuff. But it, just the, the the cold, damp wind coming off the, the sea there, it just kind of cuts right through you. So yeah. it was... Uh, I remember in the the rink that we played in, it was just this, you know, just a small little rink, and you know, the dressing room was sort of right right against the exterior wall, and you know, the wind had to be coming in under the doors, and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? I'm you know, freezing to death. I I was in Phoenix last year. And, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, that's where yeah, I was going. And, yeah, you go from Phoenix to Cardiff, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Weather-wise. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of like yeah, back then, I mean, what were the uh, what, what were the what were the facility like the, the facilities like because i uh like the, in the rink and the dressing rooms and stuff do you remember uh yes unfortunately for some of them i do um yep. you know a couple rinks obviously like manchester and stuff was you know world-class rank and whatever but uh, some of the other places like um i think it was basingstoke uh in the dressing rooms the 
the <laughs> the uh, um, sewage pipes, I guess, is a polite way to put it. Would uh, would basically back up and and flood through the the floor. So when you're walking out, you know, sort of on the on the the black plastic, it's kind of squirting up. You got to be careful; it didn't didn't catch you. And um, back then, you could smoke in the rink, so we'd be walking. You'd have to walk sort of through the 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 lounge where everyone's having their pints and their their smokes and stuff and you know it was it was a different environment so some of the rinks were were pretty small and uh um, some interesting dimensions and and corners and stuff that you might not see in north america but you know then you go into manchester and it's a 17,000 seater so it's uh you kind of it was all over the board yeah yeah, well, like I said, some of your teammates there, um, you know, Spokane, old Spokane, Frank Evans and uh, Andy Andy McIntyre yeah. and Kenny Hodge. What, uh, what were your uh, what are your memories of those guys? Uh, again, just it was another really great group of guys. Kenny Hodge was, you know, just just kind of one of those silent killers out there. He'd never never say anything, and he'd you know come out of the game with four points. You know, he's just a a pretty special player, you know, Ian McIntyre and, um, uh, Frankie Evans was, you know, another one of those guys, just warrior, just every night, you know, go and, and, uh, answer the bell with anybody. He was, I think probably only about a buck 85, but yeah, just, uh, it was a, it was a great group of guys. We had a really, <clears throat> excuse me, really cool coach, uh, Paul Heavey is a crazy Glaswegian that used to play over there and, and was one of the toughest guys in the league when he played and he was our coach. So, uh, obviously he was a real players, players coach. So it was great to, uh, to have a guy like that, you know, sort of at the helm. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and we had a pretty successful team and, uh, and, and just a lot of good memories really. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they had a few tilts over there. You had Corey Bolio and Sean Bram and, my, and Matt Hoffman. Um, I was I was going to ask you though. In uh, I noticed in the second year that you went over there, um, it it seemed like the fighting really increased in the league. Um, am I at my ass in saying that? I mean, I know you went from four fights to twelve the next year, so obviously you fought more. But did you did it seem like it was starting to get a little tougher over there? Um, it was. I think it was a little, little more active the first year than, than, uh, than it looks, you know, in terms of, of stats and that. Cause again, they, they didn't always include, you know, all the, all the different games in there. So, um, but, you know, definitely they, they were bringing in more guys sort of every year, the second year, you know, there was, there was probably another half dozen guys. And then I think 99 was my last year. And the year after that, you know, you had a whole slew of guys over there and, 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 uh, I can't remember if that, that was a year of the lockout or whether that was later, but you know, you had a lot of guys over there like Black and Vial and oh, yeah. uh, when yeah. I was there, where's he was there, you know, Mike Ware and yep. like you said, Paxton Schulte and all those guys. So, um, they were really going for the, you know, for a North American style. So they yeah. were, they were trying to, trying to make it, um, you know, trying to bring in, <clears throat> excuse me, more, more guys, um, to, to basically fill that role. So yeah, it, uh, I think it ramped up a bit more, uh, sort of even after I left. Well, you had a few run-ins with Schulte over the, over that time that year. Uh, yeah. what, were, what were your, uh, 
was it just like a you know, you know was it a dislike or was it uh, just that's the way it fell or uh, you know what, what was the deal there? Yeah, no, no, no dislike at all. I didn't really know anything about him other than uh, a friend of mine that I'd had uh, done some hockey camps with in the summer from uh, from HMI Atlantic. Bruce Smith had uh, known Pax from when he was in St. John, yep. and uh, I just I knew he was a good guy and was apparently really tough or whatever. And we just ended up. I think we we fought three or four times that year just just because we ended up in that situation but yeah no 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 dislike at all with him and uh, i actually kind of keep in touch with him now and now and again on facebook now he's a, he's a pretty funny dude so um yeah. yeah another another one of those things where there's just so many guys that you'd, you'd love to sit down and have a beer with that uh, you know you played against and you never other than fighting him you never actually got to, to actually meet the guys but you know they're good guys so yeah well, another guy, Matt Hoffman. There was another guy you had a bunch of run-ins with. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a little bit more. We didn't like each other very much, <laughs> at least at least on the ice. I never met him off the ice, but uh, yeah, we we whenever we uh, were out there, there it, there wasn't a lot of uh, friendship involved in that one. So yeah, well, and like you brought up before, uh, the tough dude Mike Ware. I mean, he he was a legend over there. And another guy yeah. that I have to ask you about because I talked to Clark Wilm, and he was like. Oh yeah, he was a little bastard. <laughs> was uh, Rob Trumbley? Do you remember him? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He was in Newcastle. There, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You kind of have yeah, like a, another did guy. Have like sort of like a Bezo vibe to him a little bit. You know, it's funny because that's exactly what I was thinking. I, he wasn't. Uh, I don't think as um, uh, quite as intense as as you know what I've seen Bezo on on clips, and obviously you know played against Trumbley multiple times so um he was again one of those guys where if if someone challenged him or or somebody ran a teammate you know he he was in like a dirty shirt but he from what i remember he wasn't you know an overly dirty guy or anything like that he just um you know he he wasn't a really tall guy but uh, another guy that had a reputation as as throwing a pretty good punch and you know could take a good punch and whatever so you know you had to you had to be aware when when he was out there, not because he was cheap or anything like that. Just just he was he was there to do his job if it came to it too. So yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well and as I was kind of kind of going through the uh, the list here, I didn't realize until now uh, the London Knights. Uh, Troy Crowder was playing for him. Yeah, I think I think we only played each played against each other in, in one game. I don't know. I can't remember if he was over there only for a brief period or, or what, what yeah, it was. Yeah, it says but, he only uh, played 16 games. Yeah. 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 I think Chris McSorley, who had been the coach in, in Vegas all those uh, the years that I was in Denver and Utah, he was coaching in London. So, you know, it's no surprise. He always tried to have a tough team. And, and uh, yeah, I remember playing against Crowder the one, you know, one game and, and uh, you know, nothing nothing happened with us, which, you know, that's, that was just fine. You know, I always figured if you get through a game and guys don't, you know, don't take a run at your teammates or no one wants to go and, and you can just play the game. That's, yeah. that's a win-win too. Right. Cause. Uh, yeah. Well, and but, at that, uh, and at that yeah, point was, in your career, I mean, it's not like you got to, na- you have to make a name for yourself or anything. I mean, at that point where I don't want to say all oh, you're just, 
you know, playing it out. Well, but I mean, you know, it's sure, it's sure, sure not like he had to make a name for himself either. He well, no, 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 no. A, a little bit bigger name than me. But. Yeah. No, I'm just saying in general, when you're playing over there, it's not like you're, you need to prove anything. I mean, at that point, I don't want to say the fighting, you, you lost the, the passion for it, but I mean, at that point, you just kind of, yeah, like, let's all just behave and play and, you know, is that kind of what you're hoping for? It's like, oh, shit, we got to go do this again. No, you know, to be honest, I don't think, I don't think until you, you actually retire from the game, I don't think you can really have, have that attitude when you're playing. You know, yep. you got to be, you got to be ready to go every night, you know, not, not saying, and I know, I know what you're getting at. Like, you're not going out, you know, specifically looking for fights every single night, but. Yep. Um, yeah, I, some, some games, if, if nothing's going on and it's just kind of a, you know, just a, a good game and nothing happens, you know, uh, that's, I think at any point in your career, even if, even if you're a younger guy, you know, not too many guys want to fight every single night. So, no. um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I just kind of, uh, at that point it was, uh, and like you were saying, you know, going over there, I, I wasn't really expecting it to be as physical a league as it was. So I guess that, to kind of answer your question, you know, you couldn't really take take that approach with it either. Because if you did, then you know, yep. you wind up wind up on your ass. So yeah. Well, one of the things that I know, I've I stay in touch with some of the guys that are playing over there now, and we talk privately and. And like from talking with Mel, because he was over there and for a little while, and uh, one of the big issues that they always have is with the officiating. Mm-hmm. Now, because they're just like they're they're just well, they're just they're fucking awful. That's what they all say. So, what were you, what was your take on the officiating over there? Um, it, it's a, a little tough because you know some of the guys that were were over there were. You know, they were just guys that, that had grown up in, you know, in British ice hockey. They didn't really have any, any experience with North American hockey as far as officiating and stuff. And, um, I think that was when I was there, that was the one thing that, that kind of, um, held the league back a, just a little bit was the fact that overall the, the, level of officiating you know wasn't wasn't what it was in north america so you know we had had a few guys over there like i think mike rowe was over there who was a a canadian ref and and uh when he when he when he was roughing you know you knew you could you could play the game you know you could be physical but any of the garbage he was he he knew what was going on some of the other guys you just you never had a clue what was going to be called or what wasn't or um you know a lot of times guys guys like myself you know you'd get mystery penalties or or you know get kicked out or or whatever for stuff that you know if you're dealing with a a ref in the i or the a it's not going to happen so you know, in that respect, it was, there was definitely more of a, an issue in terms of the overall level, but I don't think it was guys were going out intentionally to, um, you know, to, to be biased or not do a good job. I just don't think they had the experience that, that the North American guys did at that point. Right. 
Well, it just seems like to me, it's like just from a complete outsider looking in, but just you see some of the suspensions or some of the penalties or whatever. It just seems like everything's just a real overreaction to everything. Yeah, definitely. Some you know some stuff was, and like I said, it was such a such a coin toss as far as you know what what was going to be called or or you know if something was called was it was it a two minute penalty or was it going to be written up as a, you know a four game suspension sort of thing so that was kind of one of the one of the things that you just never knew how things were going to be called and um that makes it makes it difficult for guys sort of playing in, in that way especially you know that's what you're brought over to do is sort of play yeah. a, a physical style and 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 play a certain way so if you're going night to night with completely different officiating and whatever it, it definitely i can see how guys you know i know i got frustrated on more than one occasion with with stuff like that too so it doesn't surprise me that's kind of the feedback well we saw the video we put up the other day of you getting booted out and we all need we all asked you did you pay for the glass when you broke the glass on the oh. door they make you uh, pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's a perfect example. The look on your face when they come over to the box, the cameras zoomed right in on you, and they're like, "Yeah, beat it. You had a game misconduct." The look on your face is just like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, it's well, like you weren't even and, mad about and, it really until you got off the ice. You were just all like, "What's going dude, on?" <laughs> dude, I was, I was horrified. That was, that was the, you know, final or semifinal game in the playoffs. And, you know, I had, I remember the guy that, that came out from Manchester, just a little, a little guy just, you know, chirping and, and causing, causing crap, all, you know, all the time, whatever. And there was a, a scrum going on and, you know, he gave me a shot. So I reached over as soon as I got away, I kind of reached over with one hand and kind of pushed him on the back of his back of his pants with my stick. And I ended up getting, you know, five minute spearing me during a game misconduct. So now you know they come over to the, to the box and tell me you're out. You got spearing major. Well, you know now I know that my team's down. You know five minutes in in the. You know if we lose this we're out sort of thing. So that was one of the worst feelings was was skating from the box to you know to head towards the dressing room knowing that you know this is the biggest game of the year and and now we're down you know five minutes short for something that I, I really don't don't think it was even a penalty let alone a, a major but um yeah that uh the, the, that glass wasn't the only thing that <laughs> that uh got destroyed <laughs> yeah well and like you yeah. said there's a perfect example of the overreaction like that call's not made in the american league especially in a friggin' semi-final game yeah well it's the thing i mean that, and that's you know again that's a tough part of of being in a position where you're supposed to be a, a physical players and you never want to put your team in a position where you know you're you're going to cost in the game or whatever it, it, there's no worse feeling than that you know so yeah. luckily luckily our guys I think my my line mate Nikki Chen I think got two or three goals that night and and we won the game but yeah that was probably the longest five minutes of my life was sitting in the dressing room you know waiting to hear if the the horn went off that they scored four power play goals or something so yeah that's not a not a great feeling but overall like uh obviously no no complaints about your time in cardiff outside of the officiating no no no, no. i mean 
again, awesome, you know, awesome fans, awesome support. There is, uh, you know, I met, met some great, great people over there. One of my, my best friends, you know, to this day is, uh, a singer songwriter from, from over there, Martin Joseph. I went over and, and, uh, actually did, you know, front of house sound on a couple of his tours cause I was, you know, really into music and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, just lovely people over there, you know, do anything for you. But man, if you, uh, if you do something they, they don't think is right, they, they ain't afraid to tell you. So it's, it's, it's a pretty stand up, uh, stand up blue collar group of fans over there. Right on. Well, man, there you go. There's the hockey timeline, uh, 400 and junior 400 plus games, 2,100 penalty minutes. I mean, uh, like you said, you never backed down, took on everybody. Um, is there, well, I never said that. You did. Well, you, you never. I'll say it for you though, because it's true. Um, but uh, when <laughs> looking back on it, uh, yeah, we're not going to do the road less traveled or what I should have done, could have, should have, would have. That's there's point. There's no point in life to doing that. But just uh, yeah. What what's um, what's your biggest like just takeaway from the game and what the game gave to you and uh, uh, what do you, what do you miss about it the most? Uh, without a doubt the the camaraderie just the you know just the guys whether it's in the room before before practice or after a game or you know going out for wings and beer or whatever i mean that's that's the stuff that you know you can talk all day about you know statistics and all that kind of stuff whatever but at the end of the day i think pretty much any guy you ask that that's probably the thing that that they sort of hold most dear from the game is, is the, the people that they met, the teammates. Cause you, you know, you're going basically going to war with guys for, you know, 250, 300 days out of the year. Um, yep. so it, you, especially if you're on a, a pretty tight knit team, you know, you, you go through a lot of stuff together and guys have your back and you have their back. And so, you know, that's definitely the stuff that, that I think I'm most thankful for, but it's also stuff that you miss the most. Yep. Well, and, uh, yeah, no. And, uh, well, I know I, well, before actually, so 98, 99 is your last year in Cardiff at that point. Um, was it, um, you were just, you were, you, you just knew that was the end of the line or, um, was it just, was it a conscious decision on your, your part? Like, did you know, right? Uh, I'm done or what? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd kind of made a decision in the last, you know, probably last month or two of the season, just, it, just, even just to try and practice was just excruciating a lot of times, just, you know, all yep. the, all the injuries and stuff. And, you know, it's one thing if you're, you're a, you know, second or first line player and, and your job is to go out and try and score. But if you got to go out and, and hit guys and take hits every night and, and do all that kind of stuff, then, um, you know, I, I'd had a lot of surgeries by that point and stuff and it just all catches up to you. And, and uh, I just knew that, physically just I was done it wasn't wasn't a matter of you know I wouldn't have kept playing if I could have because you know mentally obviously you, you get you kind of get smarter as you go along but yeah physically I just knew that uh, no it's just I'm I'm done so I was uh luckily I made that decision and and didn't you know didn't go back on it because that's I think that's when you can really do some some even longer lasting damage when you stay in too long. So yep. yeah, yeah, no, that was the reason for that. Well, 
uh, well, that was that was great, man. The hockey journey, and like we we're talking, um, I want to also talk to you about. And you had brought up on the phone, and I didn't really get into it because I said, "Well, we'll wait for the show." You said you wanted to talk about uh, music. What is uh, your journey with music? What what is this? Uh, what has this part of your life uh, been about? Uh, well, I'd, I'd say that's been that's been my number one passion ever since I was a kid. Okay. Um, in retrospect, I probably should have stuck with it, and you know, especially once all the the injuries started happening. But no, it's just that's just uh, always been something that you know, whether it's listening to music or, or playing or whatever, that's always been sort of my my go to. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I think the fir- one of the one of the first first songs I ever recorded was uh, with with Todd Ewan in my basement, rented a little four-track Tascam recorder and Todd played guitar with a he didn't have a pick so he used a penny and and whatever and just anything to do with music anything I can you know be around it or or do in regards to it that's kind of that's that's my happy place so well I mean let's like what instruments do you play are you a singer like uh like you got a band what's what's happening here we're gonna fly her a town what are we doing (laughs) no I mean I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm a I'm a musician, but <clears throat> I like to like to play drums. It's kind of been my my thing. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, the, when you're playing and stuff, obviously it's you, you can't really uh, can't really have a drum kit with you in apartments, and and you're moving all the time. So yeah, that uh, that kind of detracted. But I've uh, been really fortunate. A couple little things. Um, there's a a, a great band from out here in Vancouver area called the odds. Yep. Um, and I threw one of the, the Canuck alumni things a few years back. I was involved in, got to play, play up on stage with them for a few songs and stuff. So, I mean, that, that was, uh, that was pretty cool. And, um, done the, the front of house stuff and some recording engineering and that. So, uh, oh, I, th- I, I think it was in a, a program or something. Somebody asked me what, what my, my goal after hockey was, and at that time I, I said that was my life goal was to be the next drummer for Spinal Tap. <laughs> so I saw I saw they're they're playing a uh, playing a an anniversary gig or whatever. So if they they need another exploding drummer, then uh, I, I'm free just so that they know. Well, hey, there you go. Like, have you uh, like have you been in any bands or anything, or like record like released any albums or? No, no, nothing, uh, you know, nothing that that serious. Uh, again, mostly just because, you know, you, I've just been sort of working and doing other stuff. I mean, I've always always yep. kept playing and whatever. But um, yeah, never just never was in a, a serious, you know, touring band or anything like that. So, um, you know, that's the nice thing is that's one thing you can. As long as you can still move, you can, you know, still play music. Doesn't really matter how old you get. So who knows? You know, maybe one day. But uh, yeah, right now I'm just, just enjoying it and and uh, and taking any anything I can get as far as uh, you know, recording stuff and whatever, just for fun. So that's that's really about it. Well, like so, if if, if somebody hits uh, uh, Mike McWilliams' iPod, what 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 are we gonna hear? What what are you into? Oh man, uh, really, really wide variety of stuff. Um, pretty much, 
I'd say the only stuff, you know, and I don't want to piss anybody off, um, but the only stuff I don't really on a whole listen to a ton is, uh, you know, like sort of rap and, and country. Um, I'm more of, you know, classic rock, obviously, but, you know, blues, uh, electronic stuff, singer, songwriter, whatever, uh, really kind of eclectic, eclectic mix of stuff. Um, yeah, that's uh, anything that, anything that sounds cool. I'm, I'm pretty much into, I don't really care what, you know, what genre it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's cool, man. Um, and the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, we had briefly talked about it was the, uh, the, the website, the hockey circles. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 W- w- what's that all about? Let the people know. Uh, yeah, it's it's just something that I got involved in, I guess, in the last three or four months uh, with a, a, a small group of people out here in Vancouver. It's um, a new, it's basically a social media platform designed specifically for hockey, um, and it uh, encompasses sort of everything from a, sort of a social media interaction um, to uh, analytics stuff. Jack McElharvey, uh, who's a scout for the Flyers, is is actually going to be doing uh, him and, and some other guys are going to be doing the analytics and stuff. So, uh, you know, players or, or um, parents, if, if they want to or whatever, can send in, you know, upload a video clip and have it analyzed, um, stuff like that. One of the big things that I'm excited about with it is we're, we're doing a really big um, component for, uh, health and wellness, um, mm-hmm. injury prevention, concussion prevention, mental health, stuff like that. So, um, talking with, with some of the guys that I know, like Pat Carnes, who was my trainer in Denver, he was a, the abs trainer for 10 years after that. And, uh, guys like that. And, um, some other people that are involved in, in different concussion research and stuff are going to be, uh, doing a couple op-eds and contributing stuff. So, you know, all all the health and wellness uh, stuff, the injury prevention, all that kind of stuff, all that will be available for free for, you know, for anybody at any time. You can just go and, and search it up or whatever. And we're just trying to put together a lot of a lot of resources that either players or parents or whatever can, can use for all this stuff. Uh, and then there's also going to be marketplace team management. So you can, you know, schedule your, your league or your teams and keep track of, uh, all your team management and data and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a real, uh, a, a whole platform designed just specifically for hockey. So it's, uh, called hockey circles. Our launch is going to be, um, January 1st is the first phase. So we're, you know, we're not fully launched yet or anything, but uh, I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty cool site so i'm kind of excited about that well no that sounds great like you said all encompassing and i mean uh, and then and just to kind of go back like you said with the health and the mental health thing i mean that's uh yeah that's such a that's such a big deal and uh you know and and you know uh thankfully it's it's getting a lot more light put on i mean there's still you know many miles to go but i mean at least now it's kind of getting out in the open now and uh you know, and, and, and hopefully people, um, you know, take advantage of your program because that's such a huge thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of good people that are, are involved in, in, um, trying to get some of this research out. And that's one of the things that, 
that I think we can we can do with our our site is that uh, we want to try and have all that available, you know, all legit, you know, verifiable, yep. you know, information, uh, just all available in in one place, so you don't have to go. You know, you don't have to go searching out trying to figure out if you got questions on on you know concussions or stuff like that. Um, all that information will be available in one place for free, and uh, you know the resources if it's whether it's mental health stuff or whatever, there'll be you know links and contacts and articles that that are available for anybody, and all that stuff will always be free. Um, you know, aside from all the cool stuff you can do on the site, you know that that stuff is I think really. Like you said, it's really important, and there's there's more info coming out all the time. So, you know, it's a, a, something that it's really good to be able to take advantage of that because that wasn't uh, you know wasn't around ten or fifteen years ago. So, yeah, no, and uh, no, that's great that you guys are doing it. But uh, no, looking forward to that site, and uh, I'll you know as soon as that becomes uh, launches, I will be I'll be pumping it pumping it up on my Twitter, and we'll get uh, we'll get people going to that site and uh, checking it all out. But, uh, no, thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. Well, here we are. There we go. That two two hour two hours of your life you're never going to get back. But it was uh, <laughs> uh, no, that was awesome. Um, I, you know, uh, thank you very much for uh, for sitting down and, and, and bullshitting with me. And uh, no, pleasure, that was great, man. man. I appreciate it. No, I, I I can't thank you enough. And you know, to anybody that that's. Uh, giving you a shout on Twitter or whatever that they wanted to hear this, you know, I can't tell you how much that, uh, appreciate that. And, and, uh, you know, teammates and fans throughout the year, that's uh, throughout the years. That's, that's the stuff that you remember, like we were saying. So it's, uh, you know, really cool to be able to do this. And I really appreciate you asking. Yeah, no, man, it was, uh, my pleasure is all mine. And, uh, and like I said, for people listening, you know, Mike's on Twitter. I mean, that's, I didn't know him before that. We just got talking, and uh, well, let's see what happened is I interviewed that that bloody Joe Lazito, that guy. Joe Lazito, oh, yeah, yeah I, you got to watch I, watch that guy, you know. But uh, I get him on the show, and uh, no, and he was the one. Oh, you got to talk to Mike. You got to talk to Mike, and then uh, I think you chimed in on the on the tweet, and we just got talking, and uh, yeah. I'm reluctantly no, I'm going to thank, thank Joe for it. I'll put it that way. Absolutely. <laughs> anybody anybody that doesn't know that that dude's story uh, yes. go go check it out man that that guy's a real hero yeah, absolutely so, uh, yeah. joey's another another guy that i've got to know over the years just through hockey you know just the people that you end up meeting through the game and that's another guy that's just he's just a cool cool you know salt of the earth guy so yeah, yeah. shout out to joey absolutely yeah and anybody listening go back on the go to the website fourthlinevoice.com go back i think it was interview eight or something i talked to joe for like two hours and we talk hockey chip and at the end he tells the subway story unbelievable yeah joe, no joe joe's the man joe check it out joe's, yeah. joe's good people but mike i i appreciate you taking the time and uh we will certainly uh this won't be the last time we're going to certainly do it again but uh, i hope anyway or i hope you don't lose my number you block me after no, this. I don't no, know. I just, <laughs> I'm just depending on. Uh, I hope you I hope you got good editing fingers because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff you're going to want to edit out of this one. So, <laughs> wow, Maya, no, you were great. I'm the one yapping. Like, what is this guy on here? Yeah, panic, Yannick. I blew that one hard, but uh, yeah, uh, no, man, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we will uh, we will uh, certainly talk to you later. 
My pleasure, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for getting all this stuff out with 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 all us guys. It's uh, you know, like I said, I I'm enjoying listening to all the the stuff as well because it's it's uh, you know a lot of guys that I I respect that I played against, and so it's it's kind of cool that you're taking the time to to like you said give give the fourth line guys a voice. So thank you. Absolutely. All right, Mike. Well, you have a good night, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Cheers, bud. Thank you. Ciao hey, for now. Take it easy. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 